Good afternoon or good evening, whatever the case may be, wherever you are in the world. Greetings, welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. As usual, we are going to take this Monday program as an opportunity to review the topics from last week, which if you are in, an, in a troublesome time zone that you could not have or did not have the opportunity to watch live or, and engage with us and ask questions or ask for clarification, etc. So we're, we are going to get into that shortly. Before we do, well, we might as well throw up the topic anyway. On Wednesday, well, no, prior to Wednesday, we were in a bit of a jam. We didn't have a topic. Uh, I didn't have a topic to discuss. I didn't know what to talk about. And in the course of going through that experience and not knowing what to talk about, not not giving it, not receiving any guidance from the still soft boys. I followed my intuition, which was to lean into it, to be, to, to, to be with it, to sit with it. Okay, so I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what the topic is for Wednesday. So that's what the topic was for Wednesday. What do we do when we're stuck? What do we do when we're up against the wall? Or we're facing a wall. We're facing a deep black pit in our life. Or we're feeling stuck. We're not, we're not receiving any guidance. We have no gut feeling. We have no intuition. There are no serendipities around us. We seem completely abandoned. But it only seems that way. And on Wednesday, we spent what turned out to be a rather long live stream speaking about precisely what to do when inspiration fails. And we were only able to do that by virtue of the fact that we received no inspiration prior to the, the program. Hello, Disobey. How are you? By the way, uh, here is the link if anyone wants to jump online and join the live stream. You're more than willing to do that. There's the link for you to click on. So what ended up happening on Wednesday? Not having a topic, not knowing what to talk about, not having been given any guidance or direction, having to lean into that and going in completely blind, completely, the only thing we had available to us were the questions. What do you do when you have no inspiration? Because that's the situation that we were in. That's the situation that I was in. Okay. 
Okay, Azazel. Anyway, and anytime you guys have the link, I'll keep the link on the screen. Anytime, if you want to jump in, it's up to you. If you don't, it's up to you. And the beauty and the magic which unfolded last Wednesday was that by the end of the stream, we had several individuals saying, this is exactly what I needed to hear. Now, I couldn't have known that. I couldn't have known exactly what they needed to hear because I had no idea what I was going to be saying. I had no idea that I was that I was going to be saying anything of value at all. But that's the beauty and the magic of surrendering to the moment and surrendering to your state of being no matter what that state is, instead of trying to avoid it or change it or run from it or force some something onto it, why not lean into it? Why not go deeper into it? If you have no inspiration, then, then double down on having no inspiration. See where it gets you. If you're feeling stuck, double down on the feeling of stuckness, see what, see where it takes you. For the purposes of explaining how one can comprehend that, how, how we can visualize that and feel that sense that within ourselves, we can turn, as we have in the past, we can turn to the nature of water. Water has these incredible characteristics. Number one, we know that water flows. Number two, we know that water takes on whatever shape of the vessel that it that is holding it. And also we know from basic science that water always returns to where it came from in the water cycle. It will evaporate, it will turn into rain, it will become, it will become lakes and streams and rivers and then return to the ocean. And then this cycle just repeats. But water doesn't discriminate. Anywhere through that process, water flows where it needs to in order to be able to do this process of descending and ascending, falling and rising arriving and returning. And along that path, most notably, after it falls as rain and starts pooling together and starts trickling and forms into little streams and then rivers, 
the defining characteristic of that journey to the ocean is one of constant obstruction. Like the wall behind me or the wall in front of us when we get writer's block, for example. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do next. And, and no matter how hard we think about it, no matter how hard we try, there's nothing there. But water shows us the way because water doesn't have to try to flow. Water just flows. That's why we have the expression going with the flow. What's more is that we have covered this uh, topic before, but if we look at the nature of structured water, living water, it follows, like all phenomena, it follows according to the alm of life. And life is baffling. Baffles have the effect of making water come alive, energizing water, structuring water. Water becomes better. It beco water becomes its best, healthiest, most vital, most energized, and most structured self the more baffles it has to confront. And when water confronts one of those baffles, it goes through this spiral motion meaning it goes around and around and around and around, but each time it goes around, it's going deeper and deeper and deeper into itself or it's spiraling outward, but usually inward. That's the, the, the particular nature of water. And as it's doing that, that motion, it's increasing its velocity and it's increasing its, the, the downward inward forces and that intensity is what gives it new life and new energy and, and structure. And it's precisely that process. That's why from waste management systems to peapod life ecosystems, baffles are used to keep water vital and alive and, and energized. But each one of those baffles serves as an obstruction to the flow of water. Those baffles are really artificial versions of what rivers and streams have to deal with in the natural world. We call them rapids and waterfalls and dams, natural dams that the water has to navigate around. And if the water stays stagnant, stays stuck, then it loses its energy. It unwinds. It loses its structure. It becomes stagnant. It becomes dormant. It becomes, well, like a swamp or like any standing water that's been standing for a long time, it becomes putrid, putrefied. 
and its vitality and its energy and its life becomes lost. And we feel that way when we're stuck. We feel that way when we have Roger, uh, writer's block. We feel that way in any number of other situations where we, we're, we don't know what to do and we're receiving no guidance from the still soft voice. We're receiving no insight, no imagination, no inspiration. We feel abandoned, we feel lost. And if we allow ourselves to indulge those emotions, then we too will unwind all our energy, our vitality, and our, our structure will all collapse. And we will settle into the bottom of the muck of a swamp of our lives and we will feel sorry for ourselves. But you may say, well, but if there's a dam that's holding back the water, that's causing it to stand that pool, how does, what, what, what else can you do? Like you're not getting any information and you're not receiving the information. Well, what you do is unlike water, which has to go with the flow and cannot throw itself at the baffles, it's going to naturally go through the baffles and go over the rapids. And as it goes through that process, it's swirling action and the way it navigates the baffles is, is it overcoming them. But in our case, we have the capacity because we're conscious beings, more conscious than water anyway, or presumably, hopefully so, we can throw ourselves at the wall. We can throw ourselves at the baffles. And this is not necessarily, although you may have heard this expression, throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So if you have writer's block, start throwing ideas out and see what sticks. Start brainstorming. Like People have all sorts of techniques. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about going with the flow and leaning into and embracing the baffle, embracing the wall, embracing the silence, embracing the lack of information. Be okay with it. Accept it. And allow it to be. Just be. Allow yourself to be. Without indulging in self-pity and all of the negative emotions. Just experience what that feels like to not know. And be comfortable in the not knowing. And the more comfortable you become in the not knowing and the more you allow and surrender as water does, you realize that even in most stagnant pools or ponds or lakes or swamps, there's always a little trickle of water that's escaping somewhere. And, it, and the water that flows into that swamp or that fell from the sky into that, into that reservoir may have quite a long journey to slowly move across the reservoir to find that little trickle, which is going to free it from the stagnation. There is movement there. There is motion there. Even that 
it may feel like you're not getting anywhere. It may feel like you've been abandoned, but it is not so. We are never abandoned. We are never forsaken. So, not receiving constantly and not receiving obvious direction or insight or inspiration is part of the work and part of our test. We A few weeks back, we talked about being lost in the desert, lost in the dark. We talked about 40 years in the, de- in the desert and what that means, and it's actually a literal number. And we mentioned how in our own experience, we had our first Shamadi at the age of five and didn't have another significant spiritual experience. We did not, we did not have another Shamadi until roughly the age of 25. It's 20 years from our first Shamadi at the age of five, all the way, we had to wait 20 years, two decades, before we had our next Shamadi. 20 years. Now, there was lots of other stuff that was was occupying our time and our consciousness called being a child, growing up, puberty, high school, university, etc. So clearly, we had stuff on our mind, but throughout that entire process, what kept us going and what kept us moving in the right direction was that inner knowing that we had, that we received a sign at a very young age, and that knowing was there. Not specifically what we had to do, but all along our journey, we received little breadcrumbs of what we had to do next. But sometimes those breadcrumbs were few and far between. And then the next breadcrumb came along and we had to completely abandon the, for- the former direction that we, were, that we were told to go in. There are many, many, many tests when it comes to following the path and following the path that's laid out for us because it's not a direct path. It's a zigzag, or it's a, it's a scribble, you doubling back on ourselves, taking one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. It's not as straightforward as water. And think about, think about how nonlinear the journey of water is from when it falls from the sky to when it returns to the ocean. And then think about the journey of water in the ocean before it then gets evaporated back up into the sky. And then again, you can contemplate the journey of water up in the sky before it forms droplets and falls back to earth. When they draw the water cycle, it looks like this very simple linear thing, but it's not a simple linear thing. And and it's self-evident. But if how to get by these blocks, these obstacles, how to overcome the baffles in our life, internal and external, is to be like water, allowing and accepting and going with the flow of our life. 
and being aware and recognizing the intensity when the acceleration comes, the intensification comes. You can accelerate and intensify being just by concentration, just by relaxation and concentration, focusing, awareness, attention, bringing more of yourself to bear on the emptiness, on the silence, which your mind wants to interpret as abandonment and writer's block and all the rest of it. Your mind just wants to see the wall in front of you and feel sorry for itself, that it's, that it's progress has been impeded. Meanwhile, the wall is what we need. But how do you get over a wall? It's a simple question. How does, how does one get over a wall? No matter how you intend to get over that wall, no matter how your innermost being intends for you to get over that wall, you're not getting over that wall without becoming in, intimately familiar with the wall. If you plan on climbing over the wall, then you need to find the handholds and the footholds. You need to know how high the wall is, how wide the wall is, if you plan on getting over the wall. You need to study the wall. You need to know the wall. Likewise, if you plan on smashing through the wall, you have to know what the wall is made of. How thick is it? What material is it? What kind of mortar was used? The nature of the bricks in that wall. The walls, the baffles, in overcoming them, like water, which swirls up against them. But each time it goes around and around and around, it's accelerating and it's intensifying. It's becoming more alive. It's becoming more aware. It's becoming more structured. It's becoming better water. It's becoming better. And how many times have we talked about this in one way, shape, or form? If you want to become stronger, you have to lift weights. So if you if you if what you need is inspiration and insight and direction and guidance, you have to be able to sit with the opposite and concentrate and focus, relax, but be relaxed, be at peace with the not knowing. And focus and concentrate on the fact that you do not know and accept that you do not know. And pray for the guidance, pray for the insight, pray for the inspiration, but always complete your prayers with, but not my will, but thine be done. And, and may all this be done in accordance with the law, no matter what you're praying. If you're praying to your innermost. Not let not my will, but thine be done. And if you're in a bind and you really, really need some guidance and you really, really need some insight and you're praying for it, always say, yeah, but not, you know, but let, let that guidance come only in accordance with the law. Because if what I need right now is to suffer some karma and suffer the, 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 the feeling of being abandoned, then that's, if that's what I need, then let, then that's what I need to do. 
and stop second guessing your innermost and stop second guessing your divine mother instead lean into the gift that she's given you which is the gift of silence the gift of emptiness go deep into that emptiness meditate go for a walk in nature do do something do something else do some exercise or do some laundry if we're dealing with something like writer's block or you know just or just sit and be with it when we do this when we lean into such states and we accept the state of being that we're in the key to everything is Hamlet's speech from Act 3, to be or not to be. So these moments of where inspiration has failed us or appear to have failed us are precisely the moments whereby we can strengthen our connection to, be, to our innermost being, where we can learn how to be. And in our experience, for example, last Wednesday, when we do that, when we allow, when we surrender to the void, to the nothingness, and we abandon and let go all of that worry and anxiety and angst and, oh, but I got to do this and I got to do that, or how am I going to do this and how am I going to do that? we are learning how to be and more importantly what to be which is a true human being and as we've said before and we'll say again and we'll sound like a broken record <clears throat> the mind is raging the mind is going crazy the, the heart is going crazy even the physical body becomes antsy and agitated in its in its fear and its anxiety and its worry that it's that I'm not getting anything done how am I supposed to get something done how am I supposed to get this done how am I for example I've got to write a book how am I supposed to get it done if, if I have writer's block how am I supposed to do that the answer is B a human being done how can you be a human being done if you're the one that's trying to do everything and if you're and if you're filling your mind and your heart and your body with agitation and stress and frustration because you're not being allowed to do it The reason why you're not being allowed to do it is because that is not how things are done by true human beings. I don't write the articles. I don't make the videos. I am not here speaking to you now. Atlas is speaking through me. And at a higher level, the Logos is speaking through Atlas. I am being done just as i was for three hours last wednesday and prior to in the morning of wednesday when i made the ad where i said okay 
I've, I've waited as long as I could. I, I, I need to put out an ad for something. So this is what the live stream is going to be out. This is what the live stream is going to be about. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And when you're not being told what to do, what do you do? That's what you do. You do not being done. If you do not being done, you're being. Another way to say that is doing not doing. If you're doing not doing, you're being. And guess what? When you're being, that's what opens the door to being done. It's that simple to be or not to be. Because if you're trying to be a human doing, human doing this, human doing that, human taking credit for everything, well, you're you're going down the wrong path. You're not being. You're not allowing your being to work through you. And just like the water, again, we're going to go to water. When you go to the beach, when you look at the shore, and the water comes in and the water comes out with each wave, it undulates. And then if you look at it from a longer time span, the tide comes in and the tide comes out. There's the, there's the eternal breath at every level of reality, including within us. Every frequency, every vibration has up and down and up and down. It goes in waves. So there will be times when it's flowing like a river and there will be times when it's not. When it's receding, the tide goes out and the beach becomes barren and empty. Maybe a few crabs crawling around and all the junk and all the plastic that was uh, thrown into the ocean. Now we see that exposed on the beach. This is just the way it is. And you can allow that empty beach and that lack of water and you can allow low tide to get to you. Or you can sit with it and watch it and be with it and say, sooner or later, the tide will return. That's exactly what we did on Wednesday night. And the result was a three hour long live stream. And at the end of which, there were individuals who were telling us that, that this was exactly what they needed, which, which I didn't know. I couldn't possibly have known that. And we never would have arrived there had I not leaned into the emptiness, leaned into the, into the nothingness, and leaned into the, the topic that was being shown to me by putting me in it. Hello, sir. How are you? Yeah, hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. How are you? How was your weekend? My weekend? Well, it was calm. Um, decided to <laughs> clean the, <laughs> the apartment and such oh, yeah. things. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, uh, I cleaned the house as well. 
cleaned the house yeah. and I did, did laundry and I, uh, I smudged the place with incense and did all that good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, does anybody have any questions? Um, do you have any questions, anyone at all about the, um, about the, uh, the Wednesday topic, the first topic that, uh, we wanted to, that we wanted to cover. When inspiration, inspiration fails us. Yeah. 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 It does, uh, like what to do, what to do when you have writer's block, what to do when you're not getting any guidance from the still soft voice. We've, we've spent now uh, a half an hour giving you a yeah. condensed version of last Wednesday's uh, live stream. But if anybody would like any clarification or have any questions, please, this is your opportunity to ask. Uh, because if not, we're going to move on to the other topic. Yeah, Which that sounds good to me, actually, because, uh, yeah, all I could basically do is uh, to speak about how I relate to that. And, yeah, I found the solution to be, yeah, do not doing basically um as you described uh, because um that's when things usually start to happen anyway <laughs> and you realize after that uh yeah getting frustrated or doing nothing doesn't work out the um uh one of the common expressions is uh making a shift from striving to arriving yeah Right from 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 trying to making a shift from forcing to allowing, yeah, and it's a very different. And you see how it is a fundamentally polar opposite approach than what the what the New Agers and the the, the Black Magicians call manifesting your desires. Yeah, well, but it's it similar in nature, actually. Uh by allowing but uh, you should ask yourself who is it that is allowing basically um because we yeah so it's basically the same and when it comes to working with both sides basically one side is expecting basically and the other side isn't expecting basically by doing yeah. not doing and that's a that's another good point is about having expectations because you may think that expecting something to arrive even if you don't know what it is um uh expecting you might think that that's a very innocent uh desire to have that that expecting that well well i'm practicing being now so <laughs> now it's only a matter of time that something shows up but, but that the expectation itself is doing something. You are expecting. Yeah. You are attached to the outcome and you're identified with it. Even if you don't know what, what's coming, the very yeah. fact that you're expecting something to arrive is what's blocking it from showing up. Yes. Because, um, because that's not being, right? Expecting is doing. Yeah. Expecting is not being. <laughs> expecting is no, doing. No, it's not. Yeah. It's a, it's a very subtle form of doing. Yeah. Like like waiting to speak, waiting for your turn to speak. Yeah. Is a very is a very subtle form of doing whereby whereas listening to someone mm -hmm. is being because listening is receptive. It's but but you also you also realize that being takes effort, being takes energy. Yeah. 
being is not about sorry anybody in the chat if we're going to be stepping on toes or upsetting people being is not about you know taking your mushrooms or smoking your pot and 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 passing out on the couch and waiting for it to arrive that's not being <laughs> you know no. being is not spacing out and thinking about it you know and, and and letting your imagination run wild and fantasizing or whatever oh yeah yeah cool man like because there's so many people who think that that's what being is oh i'm going with the flow man <laughs> mm. right that's not that's because that's laziness being takes effort yeah not stress it takes the the good kind of effort but it takes effort to be and and really it takes effort to lean into that emptiness that empty space that's why the mind goes crazy and the mind yeah. doesn't want us to be in that space and the mind keeps running like the hamster in the wheel yeah right so um but all of this all of this can help us uh, to, to appreciate and experience and become comfortable with uh, in a good way, become peaceful in the space of nothing, in the space of emptiness, and, and to be peaceful and comfortable with being and not doing, and then allowing what needs to show up to show up in its own time, in its own way, and then yeah. going with it, right? And then just just be like water, yeah. In that sense, yeah. So um, the polar opposite is basically forcing, not expectation. Yeah. So that that's the that's what will kill this the most is. Um, if you want to get over the wall, if you want to get through the wall, there's clearly a right way and a wrong way to go about doing that. Yeah. Banging your head up against the wall, yelling and screaming and having a temper tantrum saying, why is this wall here? Why is this wall here? Why is this wall here? This is not the way. No. That's how a two-year-old approaches it. Right? That's how a two-year-old approaches an obstacle, right? They, have, they throw a yeah. temper tantrum. But that is not a constructive way to make it over that hurdle. The way to do it is to comprehend the nature of what's blocking you. So you have to lean yeah. into that. And so if it's silence, if it's the silence that what's blocking you, then you lean into that, you go deeper into that. You keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into to comprehend the nature of being itself. And when you achieve and accomplish whatever it is that level of being that you're being required of you in order to be able to send you that which you need to receive, then you will receive it, but not before. Yeah. All right, then. We are going to, because the second topic was the much bigger topic. And uh, suffice it to say, it took up three and a half hours on Friday. And the, the title of the, of the live stream was don't look up Biden's speech, satire, propaganda, and black magic. And we began by talking about the satirical film, which is on Netflix, 
called Don't Look Up. That's the movie poster there on the left. And the reason why we chose these two particular properties, that, that movie and Joe Biden's speech commemorating the one-year anniversary of the so-called insurrection on Capitol Hill in Washington that happened on January 6th, 2021, is because both are textbook cases of propaganda and black magic. They are textbook cases. And both of them are happening now, right? Not, not, not the Bolshevik revolution of the for, so, former Soviet Union, not the Mao revolu cultural revolution, uh, the Maoist cultural revolution in China, not any other, not from Cuba, not from any other, you know, uh, Hugo Chavez from Venezuela or anything else. Here and now, you can watch the, the movie on Netflix and you can listen to Joe Biden's speech on YouTube and you can read the transcript of Joe Biden's speech online in its entirety. And this is a tremendous opportunity for us as students of the path to study the ways of the Black Lodge, the ways in which they, they, they do psychological manipulation. And this is a powerful teaching for us because we can't afford to be naive. We can't go through life unaware that, yes, on the one hand, all around us is the Logos speaking to us in various different ways. But what far outnumbers that is mechanical nature and the voices of mechanical nature and the signs and symbols and spells and spelling of mechanical nature, which we are being bombarded with all the time to try to get us to succumb to temptation, to submit to the will of mechanical nature, which is exacted upon us by our many egos, by the Black Lodge. Fear, anger, envy, lust, greed, laziness, pride. These are the servants of mechanical nature. They are the agents of mechanical nature inside of us. So, let's start with Leonardo DiCaprio's pet project, passion project. And you can tell by watching the movie on Netflix. Don't look up. Fascinating, isn't it? That even though it's a satire. Now, let's start by describing what, is, what satire is. Satire is this unique use of language and expression, theatrics, music, whatever, art in whatever form, whatever language. There's many, many forms of language, not just spoken language. So you take whatever is considered normal and then you take it and you dial it up to 11. You, you, you blow it up larger than life. 
And when you do that, all of the little imperfections suddenly become visible. Whereas before, at normal size, at normal magnification, you can't see any of those imperfections. Like when you look at a when you look at a brand new car, and, and, and from a normal distance, and you just washed it and waxed it and everything, and, you know it's it's shiny in the sunlight, and say, oh wow, it looks like a brand new car. But if you actually get in close and start taking a close look at the paint, you will see all these little like swirl marks and 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 stone chips and scratches. And if you take a good close look at that car you realize all the flaws and imperfections and all of the the things that are that have been, uh, affected the the paint but you have to get in close to see that or the whatever the phenomena is you blow it up you blow it larger than life and that's what satire is it it, it exaggerates everything to the point of it being absurd and ludicrous how much you're exaggerating it but in doing so all of those little subtle things suddenly you realize all of those how imper all the imperfections and everything that was wrong with it because everything's been exaggerated you can now finally see it this is uh this is an important uh tool uh because for people who are asleep Right. Americans, for example, for the most part, think that their culture, that their news media. And everything that's going on in the United States is perfectly normal. That's just the way it is. And it's perfectly normal and perfectly acceptable. So. The story of Don't Look Up very quickly is that two scientists, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, his Ph.D. candidate student discover a comet that's on a trajectory that's going to strike earth in about six months and the comet is between five and ten kilometers wide meaning it's a planet killer a planet killer comet and they take this information to the authorities and to the white house and they're essentially brushed off and they're like they have their what the hell is going on moment we just told the president of the United States that the, the entire world is going to be destroyed in six months. And she and she she brushed it off because she's more interested in the midterm elections and getting her Supreme Court nominee uh, uh, verified, validated, uh, confirmed, I think is the, the, the correct word. And so from there, they end up on the news media and this this morning a morning show not even like the serious news but a morning show and kate blanchett plays this pitch perfect american morning show news anchor and the makeup they did on her face is so brilliant it looks like she has 30 years worth of plastic surgery on her face because it, it's again it's the the satire exaggerating everything so much to reveal just how fake the news is in the United States and how fake these these presenters are and that they're heartless, soulless people. And uh, she and Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio end up having an affair. And he becomes he becomes a bit of a media whore 
He starts loving the attention. He's going on all these shows. He's becoming popular, right? Talking. Meanwhile, Jennifer Lawrence becomes a meme because she gets really angry and she starts saying, we're all going to die. And next thing you know, the internet is covered with Jennifer Lawrence memes going, we're all going to die. So the, the film takes an exaggerated but very, very plausible uh, expression of what would happen in these circumstances. And the story continues on and the eventually the White House decides that they're going to take it seriously because they've had their own experts look at the data. And they have a plan now. They're going to shoot up a bunch of nuclear weapons. They're going to deflect the comet. And they go through that process. But halfway through that process, in walks the richest man in the world, the man who owns the largest telecommunications company and cell phone company in the world, very much a Steve Jobs type personality. And uh, he is allowed to come into the launch control room. People start asking questions. Who is he and why is he allowed in here? And uh, the, the president of the United States, played by Meryl Streep, says, oh, he's a platinum billionaire. He's a platinum billion um, uh, campaign contributor. So he basically has security access to, for everything. And he comes in and uh, he whispers something in the president's ear. And the president says, um... I've got to go have a bathroom break. And she and the billionaire leave the control room. And about five minutes later, all the missiles, their engines turn off and their parachutes come out. And and they come back to Earth. And the the space shuttle that was piloted by the American hero that was leading the mission turns around and crashes into the Earth. And the mission was aborted. And the reason why the mission was aborted is that this this billionaire, this this tech billionaire, uh, did his own research on the comet and discovered that there is approximately, according to his calculations, because of his spectrometer analysis of the comet, there's $140 trillion worth of rare earth metals in the comet. So the new mission that's going to be led by this tech billionaire and his and his robotics and everything and and his own private space program is going to be to break the comet up into smaller pieces and allow the smaller pieces to land on the earth so that they can be mined for these rare earth metals that's that's the turn that the uh the story takes in act two and then in act three basically i won't give away the end of the movie Suffice it to say that Leonardo DiCaprio gets to have a rant on the news. And that's his Greta Thunberg moment, right? You know, if you remember Greta Thunberg, who went in front of the United (laughs) Nations and said, you stole my dreams. How dare you? Right? Leonardo DiCaprio gets to have that moment in this movie on this this, uh, news program that he becomes a regular on. He gets to have a meltdown into the camera. And so in act one of the movie, it's pure satire. It's pure satire. It's brilliant. It's funny. It's clever. It's well-written. And it puts you, the audience, very off guard with all the humor and everything. And, and it, it makes us lower our guard and it makes us identify with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Because we, too, 
start feeling that frustration saying how how can they not be be taken seriously these scientists are just brushed off what what the hell's going on they're going on a news program and the news program is concerned more about ariana grande's breakup with her boyfriend than they are about the killer comet what the hell's going on in america like this is this is what act one is all about act two is pure propaganda it's pure propaganda because act two is uh all about uh painting the united states president who's named orleans president orleans now what president in the last few decades was most associated with a environmental catastrophe which took place in new orleans if you remember hurricane katrina and the and the huge floods that took place in new orleans that was george bush senior or sorry george bush jr that was george w bush who made that whole thing into a catastrophe the way he handled that so clearly based on that they named the president in this movie president orleans to make that connection that subconscious connection to george bush in other words this is a republican presidency and and of course a republican presidency only cares uh, will always side with business and the interests of the private sector and now they've jeopardized the lives of the entire planet by deciding not to blow up the uh, comet or, or, or divert the comet's path, but instead we're going to try to mine it for all those precious rare earth minerals. So that's the that's the act two. It's all it's all left leftist propaganda, trying to paint the right wing as not just ludicrous and ridiculous uh, with satire, but also ethically, morally wrong, and and all the other stuff that goes on in act two. But of course, that mission doesn't turn out the way everybody hopes. So Act 3 becomes, you might say, even more propaganda, but actually uh, it becomes doublespeak. It becomes black magic. Because it's in Act 3 that Leonardo DiCaprio, who freely admits to being a media whore, in Act Two, he starts having an affair with Kate uh, Blanchett's character, who's the news, who's the news anchor. He starts having an affair, a loveless, heartless, soulless, purely sexual uh, uh, affair with the uh, news person, and he becomes a camera whore. He becomes a media whore. So this is this is Leonardo DiCaprio himself admitting that, freely admitting. That he, as an actor, as a performer, as someone who has sold his soul to Hollywood, is a media whore. He likes the attention. He likes being considered one of the sexiest men alive. Right? He's freely admitting that in Act 2. So in other words, from Act 1, which is all satire, he makes a transition into reality in Act 2. Yeah, but this is what I really am, and I admit that. So that in Act 3, when he has his big rant on camera... It's just Leonardo DiCaprio at that point. No more character, no more acting. 
despite the fact that it's in a satirical film and in act three of the film that's when it becomes revealed to those who has the eyes and ears to hear and knows anything about Leonardo DiCaprio's personality and his background there is no comet this film was never about any comet this film is about global warming and Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio who is a passionate passionate believer in global warming and advocate for it or at least spokesperson for it whether or not it's really authentic or not but the way he delivers that speech in the third act of the movie and that's his Greta Thunberg moment the speech that he can't give in real life he can't he cannot allow himself to become a meme like Greta Thunberg did he can't be seen as as absurd and ludicrous and and off his rocker and losing his shit in front of the United States not like the 16 year old disposable Greta Thunberg did so he creates for himself an entire movie and a satire where everything's dialed up to 11 and he gives himself a character and a motivation so that at the climax of the film he can look directly into the camera, directly into all of our eyes and point the finger and, and say how, how ludicrous it is that we do not take seriously the existential threat that is global warming, that this comet disaster is, is an allegory for. And in addition to that, in addition to that, throughout the film, at every point throughout the film, every character is being told to follow the science, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science, listen to the science. In other words, the, the mantra that has been played out in the mainstream media for two years now related to the COVIDiacy. And the Fauci's of this world and everybody saying, follow the science, follow the science. It's the same, it's the same mantra that the global uh, warming alarmists use. You got to believe the science, believe the science, believe the science. And this, and this movie is designed to get the audience to become sympathetic and identified with the scientists who are being ignored. The entire function of this movie is to manipulate the audience into following the science and 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 identifying and sympathizing and empathizing with the two scientists who are being ignored who are not being taken seriously as though that is how these things actually work in real life and in the in we do recommend that if you can, if you do have access to Netflix, or you know someone who does, uh, see if you can watch the film. Because again, it's a textbook case in how to disarm a population and how to program them psychologically and emotionally. That's the same thing, right? Mentally, intellectually, psychologically, subconsciously. Um, and it's this 
it's this three act structure with like it's very it's really um for someone for for someone like us it's 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 very obvious but for most people they just probably think it's a comedy and a satire yes there's maybe they'll pick up on some political stuff but um but once you're shown the signs what you're you're shown what it actually is you're you're warned about it and now you can look for it you know what to look for it will become so blatantly obvious what it is it's the same thing like when people when people start showing you for example the subliminal messages hidden in advertising you've probably seen that ad or that logo a million times and you never thought twice about the hidden images in it but once those images are shown to you you can't unsee them because now you're awake now you see them now they are a part of that logo whereas before they were hidden even though they were hidden in plain sight so on that basis look at this look at these two posters look at this movie poster on the left and look at this propaganda poster from North Korea. Do you see any familiar any similarities between those two posters? <laughs> yeah. It is the movie poster itself is propaganda. They're not even hiding the fact that it's propaganda. They have everybody looking wistfully and wistfully up at the heavens in the same direction, the same way that these, these loyal uh, subjects of the North Korean regime are looking to the sky as they launch their nuclear weapons, right? Their, their, their nuclear arsenal. Oh, there's the strength and the greatness and the, and the majesty and the wonder of the North Korean regime. And Kim, Kim Jong-il, uh, Kim Jong-un, It's the, it's, it's, and why does it work? Right? Why does it, why does propaganda work? Propaganda works because, and, and the reason why they show everybody always in these kind of scenes where everybody's look, because propaganda is designed to make you feel insecure that you're not going along with whatever narrative is being shown. Propaganda never shows you any lie. Propaganda never lies to you. Propaganda always shows you the truth. And the truth is, you're not one of us. Why aren't you one of us? Why aren't you going with the crowd? Why aren't you going with the narrative? Why aren't you going along for the ride? Why are you not one of us? Why are you not with these people looking up in the same direction? Don't you don't you want to belong? Don't you want to be a part of this? Don't you want to feel strong and and desired and and in other words, it's just like all advertising that show you something and make you want to be like that happy family with their new dishwasher or their new SUV. 
Look how happy they are. Look, look, they're smiling. They've got the happy dog jumping in the back of the of the uh, SUV. Don't you want to be like that family? Don't you want a happy dog <laughs> jumping in the back of the SUV? Well, then you need a Ford Explorer or, you know, you need a Porsche Cayenne or whatever. <laughs> whatever, whatever. It's 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 making you feel like you're alone and you're abandoned and you're and the reason why propaganda doesn't work on initiates is because we know we're alone. We know, you know, we, we don't we don't search for that. We don't we have no desire to run with the crowd and to run with the sheep, to be one of the sheep. We that's one of the first things that happens to you when you start to awaken. But to everybody who's still asleep, there's nothing they fear more. There's nothing that terrifies them more than being left out. To, to not belong, to not be in the in crowd, if you remember high school. Surely, no matter where you went to high school, there was an in crowd. Whether you were in it or on the outside, it doesn't matter. You were very, very conscious of the fact that there was the there were the popular kids and there were the not popular ones. Certainly in North America, this is ubiquitous everywhere you go. And it's funny because uh, last night we watched a film by Ridley Scott his most recent film called The Last Duel it was set in uh, 14th century France. And it was about a woman who, who uh, accuses a nobleman of rape and the, the circumstances around that. And as it turns out, it's based on a true story. It's based on true events uh it was a excellent excellent bridley scott does excellent uh period pieces gladiator kingdom of heaven and now this one this these these three are now ranking in in, in at the top of the list of, of of my favorite ridley scott movies because this movie is done so well it is the polar opposite of don't look up because Ridley Scott said that this was in from from historically doing his research in terms of a completed story and a real story that could be adapted into a film this was the first me too incident in the west a that was recorded in history that 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 had an outcome that was um, appropriate for the 21st century. That could that could speak to the the abuses of power in Hollywood uh, against women, and the and the uh, you know the the casting couch and all that stuff, all that Me Too stuff, that Harvey Weinstein stuff. But Ridley Scott wanted to set it in a time that again exaggerated the circumstances because. In 14th century France, women were not citizens. Women were considered chattel. 
They were properties. They were owned by their husbands. Women were not free. Women were not, they didn't, they couldn't vote. They had very few rights. And any any law, any violation against them was not a violation on the person of the woman. It was a violation on her husband whose property that woman was. So you see, this is not satire now because, because in no way, shape, or form... Well, there are some satirical moments in the film because Ben Affleck plays an absolutely over-the-top, obnoxious, disgusting nobleman who is a drunkard and a sex fiend and stupid to boot. I mean, he's completely incompetent. So he's just this... So he plays this this caricature of a, of a of a person, but he's still believable. It's not so dialed up, and everything else, everybody else around him is played straight. So he just he's like maybe a satirical character, but it's not a satirical film. But it's using the context of history to frame and create that over exaggerated uh, framework, because at that time in Europe. Again, women had no rights. Women were treated like, like cattle. And the, the penalty, the penalty for a woman who falsely accused a man of rape, particularly a nobleman of rape, if she was found guilty of having falsely accused someone of rape, the penalty for that was death. She was put to death. And the, and the way in which she was put to death is that she was burned at the stake. Burned alive. Which is by far the worst way that you can be executed. Or one of the worst ways, certainly in, in more relative modern context. Crucifixion is perhaps the worst way because crucifixion can take days for you to die. There are stories of crucified people that have, you know, take days and they only died when they, once they succumb to the elements or to vultures or this type of thing. So uh, crucifixion is no picnic. But being burned alive is probably a close second because anything else, certainly in modern times, the electric chair or lethal injection or even the French guillotine, that's quick, uh, can't compare to being burned alive because even in the film, they they point out, they, and they're trying to use this as a fear tactic to get this woman to reverse her, um, to to withdraw the charges. They said, you realize that if, 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 if we find that you've, if we find out that you've lied about this, that these are false charges, you're going to be burned alive. And some people, it takes them as long as half an hour to die. Of the of of the of their of of the burning, so just imagine burning for half an hour, and you can realize the severity of this charge and the degree to which the law stacked the odds up against women coming forth. Women complain about that today, how they're intimidated, and that they're they're that to to come forward. And uh, and uh, accuse their rapist 
because they're intimidated by their bosses, they're intimidated by by all these different mechanisms intimidating them and threatening them that uh, should they come forward. But just imagine how much threats and intimidation it was that it's your word against his and if they side with him, you're going to be burned alive. Right? Forget about reputation and all that stuff. I mean, that's all that goes without saying. But on top of that, you're going to be burned alive. So the difference, though, the difference being between these two films is that in The Last Duel, we are given a relatively fair and balanced version of events. All three individuals, all of them get their side of the story told in three acts. You have the husband of the raped woman, you have the rapist of the woman, and then finally you have the woman. She gets the last word, and that's probably fair. Her, her story is told last. And at several points in the film, these two stories intersect so that we see the same scene three times. Once from one person's point of view, once from another person's point of view, and once from her point of view. It's a, it's a brilliantly done film. There is, no, there is no monkey business going on. There is no horseplay. There is no, there is no doublespeak. There is no bullshit. There is no overt propaganda. It is a fair and balanced, albeit dramatic, albeit artistic, albeit subjective presentation of a historical story. We won't say, we won't go so, it's no, it's no, you know, it's not perfect, but what film is really. But in terms of dealing with that particular issue, in a non-offensive, non-sneaky, non-partisan way, you can put those two films side by side and you can recognize why Ridley Scott is the director of Gladiator and Kingdom of Heaven in this film and, and this propaganda film is what it is. Propaganda. Entirely designed to manipulate and coerce and get the masses all looking in the same direction. Whereas even the poster of The Last Duel, if we can find it, is the two swords are going in different directions, one going up and one going down. Did you notice that I'm not on the screen? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. Oh, no, <laughs> that so that's no problem. <laughs> I didn't notice that. You know why? Because you are on my screen. Yeah, okay, yeah. You, you, you are on my screen, and so I saw your yeah. face there. It just didn't connect that you weren't, you weren't, yeah. you weren't where you are now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I apologize. I'm, listen, this is new to me, this stuff, this, this, uh, this, this uh, Zoom type stuff. So if that happens again, Azazel, don't, don't hesitate to interrupt sooner. Or you can always, or leave a chat, right? Or you can you can chat yeah. if you don't want to interrupt me speaking. Oh yeah, I can write here. Yeah, I can see yeah. the chats, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. we'll do that next time. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So I apologize. I apologize for that. <laughs> it's so hard for me to register that you're not on the screen when I can see you looking at yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so. Um, I highly, highly recommend both films, The Last Duel and Don't Look Up. Be, if for no other reason that see the difference of expression between something that's divinely inspired and something that's pure propaganda. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and you can, you can feel the difference. You can see the difference. And by the way, it's not by accident that Ridley Scott's film received practically no uh, uh, advertising and the advertising that they did give it was practically designed to make it fail. They practically yeah. sabotaged the, the film because the, the, in many ways, there are very powerful forces in Hollywood who only want propaganda now. And Ridley Scott's film is too balanced. It's too balanced. It's too nuanced. It's too leaving it up to the audience to decide. Yeah. You know, the Hollywood can't have that. <laughs> right? <laughs> the powers that be can't have the audience thinking for itself. Yeah. No. You know, that's too dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Reminds me basically of Ice uh, Wide Shot, that movie, if you've seen it. Which shot? Uh, Ice Wide Shot uh, oh. with Stanley Kubrick. Oh, you know, uh, I haven't seen that in a while, but but that was... Um, yeah. Well, that's a... <laughs> that's a whole other live stream, that movie is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, it is. Um. So we're going to leave behind the world of Hollywood and we, we said we wanted to talk about two case studies of, uh, of black magic, if you will, of, of propaganda. Well, the film is, is propaganda. It is black magic in the sense of it's a film that's set in the future about truly possible events. It's framed as a satire, but in yeah. reality, it's talking about global warming and it's talking about COVID and trust the science. Don't question the science because if you question the science, you're going to be as ludicrous and as absurd as all the characters in this, in this satire. Yeah. You're a fool. If you question the science, that's, that, that's a, obviously a very uh, one-sided subjective manipulation. There's, there's a clear yeah. political um, practical motivation there by the powers that be. Yeah. To keep them ignorant, basically. So let's take that to the next level. Let's, let's, let's see if we can look at black magic because 
spells and spelling are related. Yeah. You've seen that meme a thousand times on the internet. Yeah. That that's the reason why they call, they call it spelling is because, because language is powerful and it's magical. It is. And black magic is psychological manipulation. Yeah. But our psyche, we have an, Conscious mind, we have an unconscious mind, and we have a subconscious mind. Yeah. And everything that we take in, unless we transform it, right, unless we digest it, unless we break it apart and comprehend exactly what's happening, if we only digest... I think the... you meant uh, infraconscious mind, and the one... Um... The third category, infraconscious. Well, the, no, um, the, the the conscious, the conscious, subconscious, and the infraconscious. To, to us, the subconscious right? and the infraconscious are the same. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I understand. So the yeah. unconscious is the unconscious is the superior mind that we are unconscious mm -hmm. of. So yeah. the unconscious is that part of the mind which which is influenced by the being, mm -hmm. but we are unconscious of. The subconscious or infraconscious mind is, well, there's also another level of the mind. There's actually 49 levels of the mind. So these categories mm -hmm. are, are just generalized. Yeah. But the subconscious mind is the mind that's controlled, the, the, the realm of the ego. So um, the superior mind, the unconscious mind is the parts of our mind where we receive, for example, in our mind, inspiration or insight hmm. that's coming from our being, but it's being placed first into the unconscious mind or the unconscious mind reacts or responds hmm. to things, but we're unconscious of it because our consciousness is asleep. So then there's the subconscious mind, which is ruled and governed by ego. That's what reacts to everything. And if we're not digesting these things, in the correct way that we're, if we're not seeing how statements, for example, are um, the word, the operative word here is double speak. Mm -hmm. There are many, many forms of double speak. And um, if you ever have seen George Carlin's. Oh yeah. I like that comedian. Yeah. Okay. Have you, if you have ever seen his, um, his piece on soft language. Yeah. And euphemisms and all that. Yeah. That's right. Well, all of that, that's a form of doublespeak. Yeah, it is. And, and George Carlin does a brilliant job of, of revealing how insidious euphemisms are. And yeah. the, the way he goes from shell shock, yeah through to battle fatigue <laughs> yeah to operational exhaustion sounds like something that would happen to your car <laughs> yeah. and then finally he ends up at post-traumatic stress disorder yeah right and and he goes and and all the life the humanity everything is gone it's completely sterile it's completely lifeless yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder <laughs> And so 
that's now he doesn't go so far. He starts, you know, he starts blaming it on rich bourgeois white people that <laughs> have changed the language to to uh, to to uh, hide their sins. That's what it's all about. But it's he's halfway there. He's halfway. Yeah. There. It's the Black Lodge that changes the language to hide their machinations, their insidious plots, their yeah. designs to degenerate and destroy this humanity and to, to devolve yeah. this humanity and turn this humanity into a, uh, into a race of drones, human 2.0, yeah. um, according to the uh, transhumanists, which, by the way, is also intimately connected to the Covidiacy. The Covidiacy yeah. is all about creating human 2.0, right? Because these these graphene these graphene nanobots in our that they're injecting into uh, into the system is changing the DNA, is changing the molecular uh, the 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 constitution of the, the genetic makeup. So yeah. if you if you if you are a human being and someone changes your genetic makeup, you're no longer a human being. Yeah, you're now human 2.0. Right, you you're you are a genetically modified organism. You are a uh, a, a Frankensteinian abomination. You are you are you are an, an abomination of nature because you're no longer you're no longer constituted by the laws of nature and the laws of God. You've now been redesigned and. To a large degree, reprogrammed by the by the designs of man, which of course are the machinations of mechanical nature. So it's 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 all about it's all about the duality and the conflict and the inherent tension between divine nature and mechanical nature, because the egos, the black lodge, works for mechanical nature. They're trying yeah. to drag humanity down into the muck all the time. And and divine nature is trying to get us to rise. So we like to use again using water. Coming back to water, interesting how the two different topics we end up coming back to the same place. Water on the surface of water is surface tension, and the surface tension exactly describes the 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 tension, the forces between underwater the currents pulling trying to pull the water down and the forces of light and heat that are evaporating water and turning water from physical water into into water vapor and so where those two forces meet it creates tension on the surface so much so that mosquitoes and and other uh, insects can walk on water yeah, because of the way the the the, the way that the, the forces of tension are causing that that border that natural film to accumulate on the surface of the water. So it's in that space that that tension, these forces that are pulling us in, in both directions, divine nature and mechanical nature, that surface tension. That's called three dimensional reality. That's called the world that we live in. And these physical bodies and these personalities and this that's that's what that is and we are all of us being encouraged by the light the sunshine the light to free ourselves from the bonds 
of physical reality, of physical water, and ascend and, and become etheric, astral, causal, and beyond. To ascend, ultimately even into the absolute. But then all the other forces are trying to get us caught in the undercurrents. And if you've ever been caught in an undertow, if you know what that is, if you've been swimming and caught in an undertow, you know how dangerous that is and how mm. quickly you can be swept out to sea and and deep down into the depths. And it doesn't matter how strong a swimmer you are. If you're on an ocean and you get caught in an undertow, you're not swimming out of that. If it's a strong enough undertow, then those undercurrents are going to pull you under and you're going to drown. You're going to go down to Davy's lock, uh, uh, Davy Jones' locker if you watch the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah. Um, so, so these forces are always working at each other. And what we also know about propaganda, what we also know about black magic and the Black Lodge, is that the Black Lodge very rarely present themselves as your adversary. Like every good con, con man, like every good televangelist on television, mm -hmm. like every good salesman, like every politician, like you name it, they are your best friends. Even Gollum, it says to Smeagol, who, who helped us survive? Who got us this far? Who protected us? I did it. I did all that. Gollum yeah. says to Smeagol, right? And we just observe ourselves. Our egos are constantly rationalizing and justifying themselves and telling us how we can't live without them. What, gluttony? You can't live without gluttony. You'll starve to death. Don't be stupid. That's what, <laughs> that's what ego says to us. Fear? You can't live without fear. How are you going to know where the danger is? How are you going to survive if you're not afraid of everything? Don't be stupid. Yeah. That's how, you, that's how people talk, right? Then people will say that. People will say that. No, fear is very useful. Well, fear is your survival instinct. Your survival instinct is fear. Um, no, my survival instinct is to survive. It's not to be, you can't survive if you're afraid of everything. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are only very specific types of animals that are yeah. afraid of everything. We call them rabbits and squirrels and, <laughs> you know, these yeah. weak, weak, weak animals that happen to be to be everything around them is trying to eat them. <laughs> yeah. So they have a very strong and they need fear because they have a very strong uh, 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 but they but even then, even then, they only need fear for the fight or flight, only long enough to get away. And then they yeah. settle right back down again. If you've ever seen animals on the Serengeti, it's yeah. unbelievable. First of all, it's unbelievable. You, they, you can watch. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Lions, an entire pride of lions, you know, sleeping and 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 uh, and resting because that's what cats do, right? They sleep under <laughs> under under the shade of a tree. And then these this 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 herd of gazelle or wildebeest or whatever, they just go. They're just walking right by. Yeah, they don't yeah. care. They're not afraid. Why should they be afraid? The, uh, the lions are having their siesta. They're not, they're not worried about the lions. They're not afraid. Fear has no purpose, has no use 
in that situation. It's only yeah. in those that very short period of time where the gazelle has to physically run away from the cheetah and that they need their heart rate, they need the blood pumping, they need their heart pumping, they need their heightened, they need their heightened senses and their heightened uh, uh, everything else. So fear kicks in and serves mechanical nature in that way for that duration period of time. And then what's very interesting is that after, if that gazelle survives and outruns the cheetah, that, that animal, that gazelle or that uh, uh, impala or whatever the case may be, because the impala is actually faster than the gazelle, I believe. The, the impala or the gazelle or whatever it is will find a nice shady secluded spot, right? Where, where, it, won't be, where it won't be disturbed, where, it's, where it basically it's, it's out of danger. It's out of immediate danger. And it will go and it'll start shaking violently. Yeah. And what is it doing? It's actually expelling all the negative energy that was generated by fear that helped it get away from the cheetah. Now it has to shake all that stuff off and it shivers and shakes violently until eventually it can calm itself back down. It's rid itself of that negatively charged prana, that negatively charged energy, which is what gave it the, the supercharged ability to achieve that physical uh, uh, feat of outrunning a cheetah. And other animals do this as well. Uh, polar bears have been seen to, to do it after they, they fight one another. And if they, 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 and then whichever one after the fight, one or both of them will go away and they will just start sh shaking and they, to, 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 to get it out of their system. And there is actually a book called uh, uh, Tension and Trauma Releasing Exercises, T-R-E, Tension and Trauma Releasing Exercises. I can't remember the name of the author, but but you can, if you do a Google search for T-R-E, mm -hmm. you will find a bunch of articles about it now and stuff like that. It's a, it's a process by which we can, we can stimulate and invoke that shaking in our own body yeah and we can release negative energy that way i bought that book and i used that book for years i practiced tre for years to help control and manage the 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 epilepsy and the side effects of epilepsy in other words living with mm -hmm. a demon living with fear living with the demon of fear that was constantly yeah. constantly in humans Fear constantly wants us to put us in that, in that stress, in that high stress, like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end constantly, 24 hours a day. That's what living with anxiety is. Mm. So, so the tension and trauma releasing exercises is useful and helpful and practical to alleviate the effects, but really it's only relieving the symptoms of fear. Yeah. It's not getting at the causes of fear and it's not getting at the demon, but if it's weakening the hold over the demon, and if it's weakening the hold, if it's weak, if it's reducing our stress, reducing our anxiety in terms of effects, then we will are less likely to indulge, are less likely to do emotional eating, for example, are less likely to snap at other people, are less likely to indulge the demon further. 
and allow mm -hmm. the demon to have continued hold over us, breaking up the ego's uh, fears, stranglehold over us, is, is very important to weakening and loosening its grip on us. Literally. Yeah. Right? Um, we are, uh, this was a tangent, clearly, <laughs> but it's related insofar as we were uh, discussing how um, the egos try to justify themselves to us by saying that they're essential for survival, et cetera, et cetera. So the egos will always come to us as our friend and will always try to um, uh, control us on that basis. Hello, Serena. How are you? Serena, um, let me see if I can... You have to unmute your microphone. Okay. Yeah, I managed to unmute it. There you uh, go. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Yeah. I assume because I liked that discussion about fear and um, yeah, I was reading about this uh, recently. I was looking at this um, lecture about uh, it was about the Enneagram basically, and it talked about the virtues and fear was explained as an absence of courage and cowardice as too little courage and rashness as too much courage. So they kind of see it as a matter of, um, so they take a virtue and they notice different ways of how that virtue can turn into a vice by absence, underrepresentedness or hyperrepresentedness. Yeah, that's the, uh, you were saying, that's the Enneagram philosophy, right? Yes, uh, yeah. that's where I found this this explanation of um, the virtue of courage and how various vices depend on basically an absence or, you know, like a, a lack of that virtue or disbalance, let's say. So that was so what I found. The, the, interesting, the interesting notion about that is that it's the opposite. Oh. It, it's the opposite. What do you mean? Courage is the absence of fear. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, now, that's what I. Um, yeah. No, it's not. It's not fear is the absence of courage. Courage is the absence of fear. Because you become stronger, the, the 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 less fear you have, the more courageous you become. Because you have to over. But having said that, uh, having said that, without fear, the people say, "Well, you can't have no courage without fear." But that's not true. So, so courage really, what we call courage is simply the willingness, the willingness to face the uncertainty and the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. So what we call courage, the virtues that we call virtues, we can call them only, only in the awareness uh, of their opposites. In the same way that uh, when uh, Carl Jung talks about shadow work and, and understanding the shadow, so, so that the hero, you can't have a hero without a villain. That's why every story that has a hero has to have a villain. There has to be an adversary. Otherwise, the, what's, what, what kind of heroics can you do? Right? So it, 
if you have no fear, if you are if you are not facing any danger, if you are not facing any threats, if you're not facing anything, then then where is the accomplishment? Again, it comes back to it comes back to the uh, the image uh, here of um, of life is baffling, right? You that's why life is what it is. Just as it is for water, so it is for us. We can't become alive. We can't become energized. We can't become all that we are capable of becoming if life is too easy. You can't you can't grow muscle by lifting light weight. You have to live weight that you, you must be challenged. Something must challenge us so that we can be who and what we are. That's what mechanical nature is and that's what the egos are. So it's not uh, uh, fear is not the absence of courage because many people are very courageous and they have lots mm -hmm. and lots of fear. For example, myself, I live with tremendous fear. Tremendous fear. But I've also, I'm walking the path of the Bodhisattva. I've also faced every conceivable kind of threat imaginable and have to face it and overcome it because that was on the path of me being, me serving my innermost being, me being Atlas, becoming Atlas is the whole process of facing all those fears. In other words, all of these baffles, right? And so mm -hmm. those threats, those dangers, and that fear and having to face that fear over and over and over and over and over again in all of its different ways and all of its different faces. And each time fear becomes weaker and weaker and weaker, but also more subtle because we have to do this on 49 levels of the mind. Hmm. Where, where is this topic. coming with the 49 levels? What's that? Where is this 49 levels of the mind structure originating? Seven times Where seven. Seven, seven times seven. The organize the organizational law of the universe is is seven. So seven times seven. Yeah. So in other words, it's like it's like music, right? You have seven notes and seven yeah. octaves, right? Same thing. Yeah. Okay, so from that's where that comes from. There are there are seven. Well, there's seven colors in the spectrum. There's seven chakras. There's seven notes, seven octaves, and there's more sevens. It's organizational law of the universe. So our mind is organized yeah. by seven times seven. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. It means that a lot of the processes of um, alchemizing fear or just knowing it better involve a very deep interrogation of what stays, stays behind that fear and behind that fear and behind that fear. It's usually going for the consequences, like, I don't know, if, if let's say someone is afraid of failing an exam, but then you're not afraid of that, you're afraid of the consequences, and which are the consequences, and I don't know, because usually people go many levels of why, what would yeah. happen. I, I was afraid of failing the exam. I was not afraid of the consequences, I was afraid of failure. Very much. So much so that I didn't even like playing video games 
where I died constantly. Okay. I was I took I took failure so seriously that I couldn't even play those like very like difficult video games that was die rinse repeat die rinse. that was the game loop where you had to that it was trial and error and you had to learn the patterns of the of the of the bad guy in order to mm -hmm. pass the level. I never learned how to do that because I did not like that trial and error of failure after failure after failure after failure, which is why my life has been one failure after another because, because I was avoiding that. I was avoiding that. I wouldn't even play a video game that had too much failure in it. I was terrified of failure, not the consequences of failure. I was just terrified of failing and feeling like a failure. I didn't, I don't like, even to this day, I don't like the feeling of failing. But when I say that, I'm much, 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 much better off than what I used to be, right? Because now I'm okay with fail failing. In fact, I fail all the time and I'm on this constant loop of failure. And that's, and, and that, that process, I've had to accept that process as part of this process. I think uh, Serena is having uh, internet problems. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple chats. Let me let me um, uh, jump in and get a couple chats here. Genevieve says, "Is the demon ego? Uh, is the demon ego can materialize sometimes, or appear to someone, or is it something else?" Uh, if the demon takes hold over you. We have that expression, what possessed me to do that? Then other people can see the demon. Very People who are very sensitive can feel it. Because obviously when you're in a rage, when you're possessed by anger and you're shouting at someone and you're threatening someone, clearly they can feel the demon. They can feel your anger. And probably their own anger or their fear is being triggered by your anger. So your demon is triggering their demon. Mm -hmm. We we have a, an article about this called uh, "Lovers and Cheaters, uh, Cheat Eaters," um, and that's that that explains this dynamic uh, in great detail. Now, if you're awake, or if they're awake, they can see and they know that that's an ego, that's a that's fear, that's anger, that's anxiety, that's depression, that's whatever. But if they're asleep, they'll just start judging you. They'll think that that's you. Right. And that's what people are like. Right. People. So that's why in Christianity and esoteric uh, or mystical Christianity, they have the expression, love the sinner, hate the sin. Mm -hmm. That's mystical Christianity. That's uh, St. Francis of Assisi. That's St. Augustine. Right. Mm -hmm. Love the uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. But in modern times, because modern psychology has has conflated the two. And doesn't know how to separate sinner from sin. Although nowadays, in a, in a real twist of events, modern pharma psychology is separating mental illness from the personal responsibility of the individual. It's causing a whole different set of problems, right? Because now they want to medicate away the, uh, the so-called mental illness. But that's, a, mm -hmm. that's, again, another conversation. Dylan says... The struggle with being an old soul in a modern age, when you awake, the truth sets you free, but not without first shattering one's illusions. Also, 
When you awake to the duality, it must be seen for what it is. Because when you start to wonder why these bad things and people, government uh, and the zombies, happen alongside the good, your focus shifts away from the path. And the more awake you become, the more cunning the ego disguises become. It's frustrating and draining to try and stay grounded. And... Yeah, you can't uh, type any longer on... Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, he ran out. Eh? Okay. Um, what what, what uh, Dylan is expressing here is what many, many people on the path, certainly all the new agers get wrong. All, no, all the new agers are completely naive. They've been completely misled. They think that awakening and the path of awakening and self-realization is all rainbows and unicorns, positivity and bunnies hopping in the meadows. That's what they think. And it's, yeah. it's entirely the opposite. Entirely the opposite. Because Jacob's ladder and Dante's ladder and the alm of life, okay, states, dictates by design, is that if you're going around, if you're going around a spiral, if you're going around a circle, and each time you go around that circle, you gain a little bit more, right? A little expansion, right? That means at the top of the circle, you're going to be higher up. So the next time you go around the circle, the circle is bigger. And if the circle is bigger, every time you go higher up, the next time you descend, you have to go deeper. And if you if you visualize a spiral expanding outward and outward and outward, and then you cut two sides off the spiral, what you end up is a bunch of rungs on a ladder. That's Dante's ladder. That's Jacob's ladder. If you replace the rest of the spiral, you realize the only way to get to the next level up here is you got to go to the next level down here. Yeah. This is encoded... In, this is encoded in Dungeons and Dragons. This is encoded in every role-playing game or every video game where you have to go into harder and harder and harder and harder levels and the bosses get harder and harder and harder. But the points are greater. The, 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 the treasure is greater. The, the mm -hmm. accolades are greater. Right? You, you become a stronger, your experience points and the level of your character goes up. If you play MMORPGs or if you play Dungeons and Dragons, you know that when you kill monsters, you gain experience points. And when you gain enough experience points, you gain a level. And in Dungeons and Dragons, not only do the characters have levels, the floors of the dungeons have levels. So the dungeon master won't let the party go into a deeper level of the dungeon until they have the high, a high enough level to descend to the next level. And they can't get to the next higher level until they clear out the monsters on that level of the dungeon to get the experience points to ascend their, their, their next level. Then then they can then descend to the deeper level of the dungeon. Gary Gigax, who created Dungeons and Dragons, was a 33 degree master Freemason. He encoded the path 
into Dungeons and Dragons and every role-playing game in existence that works with experience points and levels works in this way. It is that's why we wrote the article we did about video games ascending to higher art. And that's why we wrote our, our article about uh, what can uh, pop culture and video games teach us about the path. Dungeons and Dragons teaches us everything about the path. The only problem is Gary Gigax made Dungeons and Dragons too visceral and and used and used the imagination. He made it a fantasy game. And and Dungeons and Dragons, he used all that truth and all that the the alm of life embedded in the game to cause people to fall further and further into fantasy. So now in games like World of Warcraft, people completely lose themselves into uh, um, MMORPGs like World of Warcraft. They completely lose themselves in their fantasy because the game is so true to life. It's so lifelike. It's so essential with the with the, uh, with the accumulation of experience points and the gaining of levels and the going deeper and deeper into dungeons that speaks to the soul, that speaks to the being. And then the ego gets caught up and identified with all the fantasy, with all the images, with all the, the everything else, and with the community online. So there have been there have been cases where people, and this is no word of a lie. There have been cases where people have been found dead, dead, next to their computer, emaciated, with their with their 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 their, their clothing soiled, unshowered, unshaven, dehydrated. Because they died playing World of Warcraft. Because they forgot about reality. They forgot that they have to eat and sleep and go to the bathroom and drink water. Because you don't have to do those things in World of Warcraft. That's not part of the game. And they completely lost themselves in the game world. In the same way that all of the zombies that Dylan is talking about here, all of the zombies in this world... They are lost in this game world. This is an MMORPG, this virtual 3D reality. And your body and your personality is just the character you are playing in this MMORPG. Your player, your innermost being, your true self, is here playing the role of this body and this personality that you are. If you can awaken to that fact, and if you can realize that fact, then you realize, oh, I'm just a character. I better do what my player is telling me to do. Because after all, my player is the one who is here to play the game. But if the, but if the consciousness that belongs to the player, if that consciousness falls asleep, and becomes identified with the player, and becomes identified with 3D reality, then he's no different than the fellow who becomes so identified with World of Warcraft that he forgets to sleep, he forgets to eat, he forgets to drink, he forgets to go to the bathroom, he forgets to go to work. Yeah, And he ends up dying in front of the computer. It's exactly yeah, the same. It's exactly the same phenomena because a, a a mind a consciousness 
that is already hypnotized is very easily shifted that hypnosis to something else, right? If you're already hypnotized that this is who you are, but this is a false self, if you're already hypnotized by that false self, it's very easy to get you hypnotized that you're something else. For example, you are a soldier in the North Korean army. Or I can hypnotize you into being a Nazi. Or I can hypnotize you into, you know, through propaganda and through manipulation, I can hypnotize you into believing you are something else, a born-again Christian or a Scientologist or the member of a cult or any number of things, right? As soon as you start identifying and believing you are this false self, you are vulnerable to identifying and believing that you are any number of things. That's why there's so many people who have multiple personalities and people who are identifying as I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a vegetable, I'm an animal. Today I'm a woman, tomorrow I'll be a man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's very easy to do, right? Um, when you have no grasp of reality because you you actually are so, you're, you're so, you're hypnotized. Yeah, Anyways, maybe that's even connected, even with like past life regressions that people, sometimes these past lives are wishful thinking of that person who really hypnotize themselves that they had this past life look it's, it's possible it's it's possible the problem that's yeah. not the problem that's not the problem okay two problems with that number one is you're right usually that's the case when people start mm -hmm. believing that i am the reincarnation of so-and-so right i am the i am the reincarnation of saint francis of assisi or I am the reincarnation of Hermes Trismegistus, or, or God only knows what, right? Um, the other problem is when they become identified with that, with the personality of that past life. It might be a real past life regression. They might have gained access to, I was this, I was that. But then they become identified with that, and it starts... It starts, uh, they forget that that life is over with. That, 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 that life is over. That, that video game ended. Now you're in this game. It's a different story. You're playing a different character. You're here now to do something different than what you did then. Even ourselves. Right, even ourselves, we often say because there's we only have we have very, very mild, very mild comprehensions of previous lives, very meek. We can't tell you anything about you know any details. It's it's just it's just intuition, it's all we have is intuition and very mild. So for example, when we when we arrived in Uji, Japan, and we stepped off the train, we knew we had come home. We knew that Uji was like, for us, a, a at some at, that that it was a magical. We had a magical lifetime there. It was a spiritual home. We we had some sort of very important uh, 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 lifetime there. 
but that's as far as yeah. it went. And we went and we lived a year there because we had to recover and rekindle some of what we had learned during that lifetime. But as soon as we had accomplished that, we had to leave and we had to leave all that behind. And we had to, for the most part, drop all of our attachments to Japan and drop all of our, uh, you know, the fact that, that, that we were, we were the happiest that we had ever lived in our life while living in Japan. We had to leave it all behind. So we, we couldn't, we couldn't, we, we couldn't allow ourselves to become attached and, and to develop identifications with Japan. Like, so here in Canada, we don't walk around wearing Japanese, like ancient Japanese clothes. <laughs> We're not obsessed with, you know, we don't have Japanese swords and Japanese, you know, decor. And, you, you know, we, we, that's that life for us. We don't even know when it happened, but it's over with. In this lifetime, we just had to revisit it, but then we let it go. Even Atlas is a different situation. Atlas is a little different. And, uh, but even then, we don't, we don't obsess over what happened during Atlantis. And we don't, we don't, we know that what we're doing now and what we have to do now is very, very, very different than what we did in Atlantis. Very different. Very, very yeah. different. That's also a thought that I had, like, yeah, even if I was in Atlantis or that would make a difference now, or there are so let's say there are people who wouldn't want to know on on another hand. Look, yeah. there's there's lots of people floating around who have experience uh from Atlantean times and specifically from the Kali Yuga. Um because one of the we are in the Kali Yuga of this humanity and experience is experience, right? So if you have an experience in the Kali Yuga of Atlantis and helping humanity during that Kali Yuga, you are experienced with what that's like and what needs to be done. Or at least, and you carry that experience with experience comes uh, confidence and with confidence comes courage and the ability to face the unknown and to the, the ability to face new challenges and more difficult challenges. The Kali Yuga for this humanity is far more complex and complicated than it was for Atlantis. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, Atlantis had its problems, obviously. It, 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 and, it, and it had its, uh, it had its abominations and it had its, uh, it's scientific things that was, you know, it was, it was playing, uh, it was doing with, um, with nuclear uh, uh, science and everything else. But, but they were not as asleep as this humanity is. And the abominations and stuff, like they also did genetic manipulations. Like there's all kinds of stuff that the, uh, the Atlanteans did. And they were asleep, but they weren't as asleep. And, uh, and the nature of the destruction of this humanity and what's happening um, is again, it's, it's, it's happening on multiple levels and it's, it's, it's far more complex and so much so that whereas according to legend, I, I have only a very, very uh, slight premonition of this, of that it may happen again. It may happen again. 
I, yes, I have a, you know, if you've watched any of our live streams on the Kali Yuga and you've seen our graphic on the, of the, uh, Archaeanon and we talk about the, um, and we've talked about, uh, let's pull this up. So I, so you guys, okay. If you've seen this graphic, let me show this to you. Okay, this is the the whole of the Atlas project uh, on the esoteric level, right? There's um, there's there's the Alm of Life, right? The, and um, and and uh, uh, self-evident experiential knowledge or gnosis in the middle, and the communication of that, uh, to be able to the ability to communicate that. Then we have the seven aspects of civilization around it, and then we have um, again, the the ring of uh, of C visual aid. In other words, that the the that that sets it all in motion, right? Actionable that makes creates actionable intelligence. These are all the different like brands and businesses and and ventures associated with the Atlas project. All of this, okay, we that came to us back in um, uh, in in August and early September, and. In order for this to become a reality for this humanity, we would have to assume the same role as we did in Atlantis. Okay, and that and that role is one of a incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful, influential individual who actually was a great king of Atlantis, Atlas was the king of Atlantis, of the global humanity of Atlantis. Atlas was its king. And, it, and he was, um, he was the, the prototypical prototype for what eventually became the enlightened uh, uh, pharaohs of the golden age of Egypt and the golden age of this humanity. That there was an, a, a benevolent enlightened ruler who led humanity. In, throughout the golden age because there was an enlightened benevolent king in atlantis who led humanity and he's called noah in the in the um, in the bible he's noah in the bible it's a different it's an interesting thing about noah and noah's oh, ark because okay so the flat that's basically Okay, but but this is only premonition and intuition. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that this is going to happen. We're not going to say mm -hmm. it's. But we we what what's inside of us has to come out of us, and we've recorded it, and we've created it, and we can visualize it, and we can see it, and we say, but not my will, but thine be done. And mm -hmm. and right now, in in my current state, the work that I'm here to do is very much like Noah, which is everybody thinks I'm crazy. Um, right, but that's but that's where humanity is yet. So we're not we're not at this point yet. You see, one of the things that I've always had is I've had an ability to see into the future um, what I would be doing in the future, but literally decades before it would actually show up. So this could be that I'll be an old man, right? When this 
becomes some sort of some reality. It could be that most of what's on here is just was given to me in a premonition. Um, and that, but it's down the road. And I certainly have a long way to go before I can assume the role of, of leading this sort of uh, revolution. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so, so that's why, and I've said this often, that's why this channel and this Facebook group is Atlas Information, right? Because like I said very often, I am, I'm just like you all guys, right? I'm suffering. I'm flawed. I have defects and vices. I have, I still deal with a lot of fear and a lot of lust and a lot of, a lot of stuff. But if I'm a little bit ahead at climbing the mountain, then it's my job to reach my hand down and help others. You know, like when you're climbing a mountain, someone takes the lead and, and, and you tie the rope so that the people, others can follow you up the mountain. And that's right. That's why, uh, that's why all of this is, is, uh, is going on. But again, it's a bit of a tangent. But you brought up past lives and people being obsessed with past lives. I am not obsessed. I don't sit there thinking about how I was Atlas and I was a great king and blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. No. If those premonitions come, if that knowledge comes, the awareness comes, insights like this come, then they I, they come. I, I, I put them down on paper. I put them in the computer. I record them. I did a live stream about it. And then... Goes into the it goes into the box it goes into the back burner it goes into the drawer, filed for future reference. <laughs> yeah, and that day may never come, but but it's because we have to focus in the here and now, and what matters here and now is the work that we have to do here and now. For example, I'm doing, uh, I'm writing a book. I'm taking the article on fear because we talked about fear. Just a few minutes ago, and I've decided that uh, I've decided, not decided. Uh, I was told that it's now time. It's now time. This humanity has had two years of the covidiacy, and and uh, now there very soon the levels of anger and frustration and fear are going to get to the point people's people are going to become very sensitive and and more aware and then it's you strike when the iron is hot i have basically the content for a book already done i'm just massaging it and updating it to include all the covid stuff and i'm sending it i'm sending it to uh to literary agents as soon as i have enough of the first draft of the manuscript to submit to them and um it's it's the title is going to be like uh, the title of one of our live streams, face face uh, your world's many faces of fear, and the subtitle is the the true pan, the true nature of the pandemic, and the practical methodology to gain personal immunity. Mm, the entire book is going to be about fear and how to create immunity to fear, how to master fear, because I am an expert in fear. I, I hesitate to say there are few people yeah. on the planet who comprehend really fear more than I do. Good. Yeah, I think I 
some point I asked um, about yeah. my connection is blocked a bit but what I was asking was yeah what what to do to get out of the inaction when it comes to here like sometimes you're not doing anything or yeah I mean um, uh, you can try typing as I mean, well. That's, for me, sometimes yeah, it doesn't work, right? Yeah, I will write. Yeah. It. You know, Serena, um, Serena, here's what I recommend, Serena. There should be a way where you can um, turn off your camera and just have a uh, graphic logo, but then you can still speak, and we'll be like, able to yeah. hear you. We just yeah, won't like be this. able to hear you. Yeah, okay, try that. Okay, yeah, I closed the camera. So, yeah, one question that I had about fear is how to to get over the freeze reaction in front of fear because I find that that is a space where a lot of distractions can hit you just the moment when you freeze mentally as challenged with a fear, you know? Okay, so what, what's happening there is you are in the grips of fear. You are paralyzed by fear. And people who suffer from sleep paralysis, this is, this is what they're experiencing. People who I experienced it on the astral plane where literally my demon literally grabbed me from the scruff of the neck, the back, and you know... That this is the the base of the uh, the the, mm -hmm. the neck is the the motor the motor control center for the body the the at the uh, top of the spinal column at the base of the neck that's why dogs are on leashes yeah that's why we can yeah. control dogs when they're on leashes because it's pulling on this part of the neck and that's why they they uh, on really strong dogs use choke choke collars that grips here and so it grips on the back of the neck. And that's why animals, when mothers want to pick up their young, they 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 bite them and they grab the scruff of the neck behind behind their head. And you see animals carrying their babies like that because the baby doesn't struggle. The baby is paralyzed. The the, the when 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 the the mother bites them there. So um, I had a dream where my my demon grabbed me from there and I was completely paralyzed. And I took all my willpower to be able to turn around to see who was doing it. And it was the demon. Um, so being gripped by fear, when we are gripped by fear and we freeze, that's what's that's happening. Now, what to do in those circumstances, as always, okay, it's when you are in that situation, you describe you're very vulnerable right? Things can, can start coming into your mind and, and, and crazy thoughts, paranoid thoughts or, or whatever, you know, is, is that's all being fed into you because you are being controlled and under the control of fear. So in those circumstances, the thing to do is to breathe. The second thing to do is remember yourself, remember your divine mother and to use your willpower, your conscious willpower, to not identify 
and not allow yourself to become attached. The other thing you can do is depending on how gripped by fear you are here, like you can, you can say a mantra, Klim uh, Krishnaya Govindaya Gopijana Vayabhaya Swaha, which is the mantra of mind protection. You can, you can, you can do, you can do a, uh, well, if you're in public, you can't really do a macrocosmic star, but you can do some of the, um, mentally at least, you can say the Our Father, or you can use any of the conjurations that are in the, um, the Gnostic prayer book or that are in the, um, the course called Defense for Spiritual Warfare. That's on the uh, Glorian uh, website. It's a free online course, and it walks through uh, defense for spiritual warfare. The other thing you can do is, depending on what it is, the circumstances of what you are, <clears throat> of when you are being gripped by fear. So, for example, getting up in front of people, like you'll have to, you would have to give us the the context in more detail for us to give you other techniques, because it's all it's all related to the situation and the circumstances that you are in. Yeah. It's not always the same. I'm just giving, I gave you some general pointers, but from here on in, for example, mm -hmm. if, well, yeah. anyway, you would have to say what the As, circumstances um, Yeah. The context is, uh, for example, when I'm on, uh, on the verge of doing something of some level of greatness, help or service to others, or help i just stop i just don't do it i, I give up so casual reaction of when i'm about to do things and i visualize how important it's going to be and how much it will help then i can't do it anymore and that's that's uh, let's say an instance that i've noticed recently a lot okay so <clears throat> when that happens <clears throat> do you observe yourself are you observing what is going on inside of you and uh, and are you are you giving in too easily to that fear and is it really fear or is it a combination of fear and laziness because fear always or not always but often works with other egos and giving up too easily, that's laziness. That's that's the that's uh, that's giving up too easy. Well, it's giving up too easy because we don't. We, well, why do why do difficult things when we can be doing easy things? And fear might be behind that, underneath that, where you're on the verge of doing something and then you just stop, like you said, you just give up because. <clears throat> so. Um, there's a lot to be said for willpower and developing willpower because sometimes what you need to do is just work through that fear, work through that block, that laziness, whatever, and just <clears throat> you got to push yourself through yeah. that block. I am um, basically, yeah. So what came to my mind was that it's basically relating to the undercurrent that you um, referred to before you know what they used to say when 
if you get dragged down to the undercurrents, your instinct is to struggle to basically spend your energy. But the um, solution is basically the opposite. You need to relax. You basically need to do what a diver does to be able to hold his breath for as long as possible until it gets uh, settled and you can swim away from the undercurrent. The process is basically the same uh, because I've had a, ser a similar experience um, in what we call a dream within a dream. Uh, when I was controlled by basically a black magician or a black robed, black mask kind of guy, um, which wasn't really any different from me. But um, I was laying down basically in a similar room to where I was sleeping, uh, not this room. Um, but, there, uh, but I woke up thinking it was my room because it was so similar. Um, and um, I tried to get out, up from bed. And uh, when I looked forward towards the door, uh, whom, uh, there was this um, black uh, masked robed guy who stood with his hand uh, above me, above my chest, if you will. And um, the force between the hand and me was uh, something that I couldn't get out, out of. Um, it was basically down to the soul. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even speak. I could basically not even think. Uh, but that's when I basically called out for the Christ um, in the best way I knew back then. And um, that's, basically, uh, that's basically where I could um, feel my willpower um, basically build up from uh, inside and get up uh, from that bed. And uh, once I got up from that bed, I got uh, up from my physical bed. I woke up, basically. And um, yeah, <laughs> that wasn't a nice experience, but um, that also um, um, made me realize my own willpower, basically. Um, we had our first, our first encounter with our demon in the astral plane was like, like you was a dream within a dream. We were dreaming, we woke up and we came out into this space that we're in now, although you, 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 you can't see that space <laughs> because it's uh, because uh, of the green screen, but, um, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and the entire place was ramshackled. It was all, it was like uh, thieves have come, uh, came in and and destroyed everything so it's like the, it's like a, it's like i had been robbed but i knew that i hadn't been robbed i knew that it was the demon i knew that it was fear that he had come in and he had ramshackled my place and that and that and that he was hiding somewhere and i I simply demanded and I called out and I demanded for him to show himself and to face me mano y mano. 
I demanded yeah. that he that he come out and face me mano a mano, and that and that and that uh, uh, oh it's like and then I was like, you know how you taunt uh, someone a child on the. Um, uh, in the schoolyard. Oh, you're scared. <laughs> yeah. And I started talking like that to the demon yeah. who, who never showed himself in that situation. I woke up before, before, uh, because, because fear fears. Yeah. Fear doesn't want to face you face to face. So in my, uh, feeling is that it's a little bit different in my experience, there was two, I had two other experiences with, well, more, more than that, but, but two other experiences with the demon in the astral plane, both of, both of those times, he had physical contact with me and I was completely paralyzed. Yeah. And both times I used all my willpower to turn, to see him. To look at him. And it was when I looked at him and saw him and comprehended what was causing my paralysis mm -hmm. is when I was freed from it. Yeah. That all it because each time those the the demon um um ambushed me. And the, because the demon is like a terrorist. Yeah. And so it strikes from now. I can't speak to like black magicians and what you went through because I've never experienced something like that. I'm, I'm but but with the demon, I have experienced. And again, the light of consciousness mm -hmm. itself for fear, fear is like a cockroach. Yeah. Fear does not want to be seen. So when you're in the grips of fear, it's like you go deeper into fear. You gotta look mm -hmm. at your fear. You have to see it. And to use yeah. your uh, to use your undertow analogy, you've got to go with it. If the undertow is pulling you, you dive deeper into the undertow. You let it take you, yeah. and then it is going to lose its power. It's going to lose its energy. It's going to dissipate, and yes. then you can come back to the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's very true. So it's so you go. It's by it's by observing, and you can transform fear into gnosis. You can you can you can recognize how that your fear is paralyzing you, and once you recognize mm -hmm. who and what and how is paralyzing you, now he's going to yeah. run away and find some new tactic. Mm -hmm. He's going to find another way to express himself. That's why facing your fears. Uh, people who have phobias, they can overcome their phobia by facing their phobia. Yeah. And once they face their phobia and they overcome their phobia, guess what? They don't have that phobia anymore. The, de the, the They still have fear. Yeah. But the fear is going to go and find another way yeah. to manipulate them. They're just not going to be afraid of spiders anymore. Yeah. Yeah, the the energy that I had basically uh, when it uh, came to uh, facing, yeah, whatever that guy was, uh, was basically like the energy of Samael. You know his uh, intense expressions and all that. Uh -huh. uh, that energy running through my body, like not this time. <laughs> you are not going to defeat me, basically. Uh, because uh, that's how I basically found the willpower to 
face whatever he was. Um, and some other experience basically giving fragments of information about the that experience basically uh, basically describing why i was experience uh, why i was experiencing someone basically conjuring me uh-huh it's because i've done the same in the past oh okay like um, okay. if we reflect upon karma for example Right. Anything that happens to you is something similar that you've done to others in previous um, lives or experiences. Yeah. So, yeah. So, for example, uh, Master Samuel writes how um, uh, epilepsy is karma mm -hmm. for doing spiritism, for doing channeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, now that that's may may or may not be true, but we have a very strong uh, feeling that, well, we we have this demon for a reason, and it that reason is directly related to the work that we're here doing, mm. because fear is the greatest demon this this humanity suffers from. Yeah, it is. Especially, you know, and so and so. Um, even though lust is the mother of all egos, um, believe me when I say, well, you don't believe me. So my experience and the pornography industry, the trends in modern sexuality is that lust is now subservient to fear. For this humanity lust had its heyday but now fear is stronger than lust in this humanity and yeah. and the proof of that the proof of that is the obsession with domination and submission in when it comes to sex where I, I a decade ago I heard a uh, a sexual one of these sexual therapists sexual guru people say that for young people anal is the new oral. <laughs> so in other words, when when I was a young man growing growing up, and all of the and you wanted to um, you wanted to uh, feel that you had sexual dominance. Right, you were a, you were an alpha male or whatever. You wanted mm -hmm. to you wanted uh, to receive oral sex from a from a woman. Now for the young people, it's they want to have anal sex. They don't care about oral sex anymore. It doesn't make them feel powerful anymore. So, and anal sex is the most primal sexual dominating behavior. That's why dogs hump other male dogs. It's it's not homosexual behavior. It's dominance behavior. Yeah. And and it is the most primal animal savage uh, of, of, of dominance and control. Control is fear. Yeah. 
Okay, there is no ego of control. There is no, there is no, and the seven deadly sins, there's nothing that says domination or control or whatever. No, it's fear. Yeah. And, and you look at that and you look at the obsession and the fact that this whole planet is being slay, enslaved by the uh, covidiacy. It's, 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 it's massive worldwide hypochondria and paranoia. Yeah. And, and, and control based on fear fear of the seasonal flu yeah that 40 years ago okay if i got my mom would give me a vix vapor rub <laughs> tell me to go yeah. with salt water and go to school yeah, yeah. here take a lemon go <laughs> yeah. right yeah yeah because that's all it is basically I've contracted something that you could call a seasonal flu. Well, it's way, way better now, but uh, I mean, it's nothing to bat an eyelid for, basically. I mean, just <laughs> just observe, as they say. So um, this is something, this is the pandemic. Yeah. Fear is the pandemic. Yeah. And... What Serena, uh, I, I, we lost Serena, and that's a yeah, shame. we did. But what Serena was, what, what I never got it, we never got a chance to get around to tell, uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, okay, so, so hang on a second, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. So Dylan says, dominance has nothing to do with what you can make another being do. Some of the best relationships I had were BDSM. Is about providing containment for your woman, a safer place to nourish her submissiveness. That's why we said domination and submission are both fear. Yeah. Because you either want to dominate or you want to be dominated. You either want to control or you want to be controlled. And why do you want to be controlled? Because it makes you feel safe. Why? Because somebody else is in the driver's seat. Why does that make you feel safe? Because you no longer have to take responsibility for your actions. Somebody else is in control. And they're going to take care of you. That's fear. The desire to be taken care of. The desire to be looked after. The desire to submit to control is the same desire that somebody else has to control. It's the same way that shame and pride are the two sides of the same coin. <clears throat> it is 100% fear. Regardless of what you believe, Dylan, and regardless of what your experience is, you had the best, best relationships in BDSM, you're in denial that fear was behind those relationships. Because true love, true sexuality and true love has no domination and submission, has no control of that nature. If it's a masculine and a feminine situation, there may be, from a pure energetic standpoint, the masculine is active and the feminine is passive from the, from the pure standpoint of masculine and feminine energies. But to degenerate that into BDSM is for those masculine and feminine energies to be twisted into something else. It's fear. And you can believe whatever you want 
And, and we're not telling you what to believe. We're just telling you the facts. You can accept them or not accept them. That's up to you. But you should, you would, it would, you would do well to meditate on those experiences and comprehend what was really behind them. And we, and we know what we're speaking about. We know 100%, a 100%, for example, the desire for oral sex is fear. The desire for threesomes is fear. The desire for polyamorous and, and, uh, and group sex is fear. Yes, it's lust, and it's lust, it's, it's lust being degenerated. It's degenerated sexuality. But the desire for, uh, when Alexander wept, for there were no worlds left to conquer. Why was that? Because for Alexander the Great, Alexander the Macedonian, conquering worlds was how he, was the drug that he took to numb the suffering, to numb the terror of fear that was in him. The, the insecurity that he's not good enough that he's not man enough. And whatever other insecurities fear was creating for him led him on this expedition so that when he finally let, ran out of worlds to conquer, he broke down and had a panic attack. Oh my God, what am I going to do now? It's the same thing that they say about Napoleon. Napoleon had a terrible... Uh, a, a personality complex. He had a terrible insecurity about his height, about all the, you know, the psychologists have deconstructed and psychoanalyzed Napoleon to death. But we can tell you simply, it was fear. It's the only reason why somebody wants to rule the world. Yeah. And to conquer the world. The only reason for exactly what you said, they want a safe space. They want the security and the knowledge that nobody and nothing can touch them. Nobody and yeah. nothing can get to them. They have built an armor now around themselves, right? That's all. Yeah. That's all fear and pride. I would say we cannot deny pride in both those cases as well. But it's all based in fear. So yeah, it's so when we say that fear works with other egos, yeah. Fear works with our egos. With the, the reason why we called our article Face the Many Faces of Fear, yeah. the number one ego that fear works with is anger. That's the first yeah. e that's the first ego that fear turns into. And you can you know that just by your own experience. Because every yeah. time something somebody doesn't do what you want them to do, or something doesn't turn out the way you wanted, your first instinct is to become yep. angry. Yep. But guess what? But guess what? The desire to control outcomes and the attachment and identification to outcomes is the desire to control outcomes is fear. Yeah. And that's why. Yeah, and after anger, it gets pride, basically. Like, after you've gets, gotten angry. Well, why it gets immortalized in Star Wars, in Empire Strikes yeah. Back, Yoda says to Luke, fear turns to anger. Anger yeah. turns to hate. Yeah. There's the path to the dark side, because hate, hate is the uh, hatred of the other. Yeah. Right. And the they, how dare they do that? So 
that immediately when you when you identify yourself and an other that you hate, well, you can only hate them by uh, by uh, um, inflating your own self love, your narcissism, your self righteousness, yeah. your pride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you said, anger can can naturally lead to that. You have to pump yourself up because yeah. of all the others who are threatening you. Yeah. Right. And you have to make yourself hate them. You get angry at them first, and then you make them hate you. Hate them, and the easiest way to hate them is to look down upon them. Yeah, they are my inferior. Mm -hmm. Well, if they're my inferior, I am their superior. Well, there you go. There's pride. Yeah, right. And then the reverse of that is also true. Yeah, I hate shame them as well because of uh, yeah. So shame. So in other words, but that's also pride. It's just the flip side of pride. Yeah, I hate mm -hmm. them because they make me feel ashamed. Yeah. So, and that's very, that's what, that's what the SJWs like to do. They like to shame and uh, uh, people into submission and all they, mm -hmm. all they uh, achieve, all they accomplish in doing that is making the other group hate them. Yeah. And they just, uh, they just breed animosity. Listen, we've got a few um, uh, super chats Questions. To, uh, to get through here. Uh, our super chats, just regular chats. Okay. Um, I had a dream within a dream. Uh, this is M Mugabu, 22. I had a dream with a dream. I woke up in my room, but there was no electricity, so it was dark. My whole apartment was dark and cold. Looking outside through the window, it was so it was it was so it was dark. All along, there was a huge presence that I could feel all around me, but that I couldn't see. Every time I am in this space, I always force myself to wake up instead of facing the demon. So this is a recurring dream, Mogabu? Is that what you're saying? Next time this happens, surely it will happen. Should I call out the demon? Because facing myself to wake up is literally running from this. Yes, it is. My, or sorry, my, not my, our, Our response, our intuition, was to demand that he show himself. But you, but so yes, so basically, to not be afraid of it, to not be afraid of it, and whatever whatever may come may come. Remember, it can't kill you. If you if this has happened to you before and you've had this dream and you've experienced this and you know it's a dream here's what you can do though ask beg pray your divine mother to give you your weapons to give you your sword to give you your burning sword and your shield or whatever weapons you prefer but it's to, to give you your sword. It's a sword is what you need. And then armed with that sword. And if you make it a flaming sword, you can illuminate the room. Beg and plead and pray to your divine mother to deliver unto you your sword and then call out to the demon. I, I call thee out. Face me. Mano y mano. Face to face. I am here. Come and get me. Now very good chance he's not going to do that but if you do this and then wake up you can move on 
the next time the demon, the next time fear tries to get you, it'll be a different circumstance. And it might be even more scary. It might be even more whatever. But each time, right? Like going up and down the ladder, right? Like like Dungeons and Dragons, right? Each time you go up in a level, you got to go deeper in the in the level each time you beat a level in mario you have to go to the next level and the next next level is harder and harder and harder and harder and it's going to get keep getting harder and each time you got to face it at each level you got to face it it's the only way you have to face your fears it's the only way you can't run from it you can't avoid it you will never conquer your egos by avoiding them ever none of your egos can you avoid? Well, they will only get more complicated, basically, if you do. Uh, okay, so Serena says that I'm here. Um, uh, connection is getting slow. Okay, yeah, that was uh, okay. No problem, no problem. We just wanted to. Um, we just missed you. We we we, we it, was, it was it was nice to have you on. Okay, missed the segments where it was said that it was fear based. Okay. Um, Srina Mentarlian, could it be that sexuality and fear save some ontological connection visible in the Eros and Thanatos motive? Okay, could it have be some that... ontological? Sorry? I think I think it should be an H instead of save, it's have some. Oh, uh, okay. Ontological. Could it be that sexuality and fear have some ontological connection visible in the eros and thanatos motive i'm not sure i understand the question i'm not sure if there's basically the some similarities between yeah now i don't remember the question because it disappeared but uh, oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry there it is there it is there it is yeah so i think if uh, she wondered if there are some similarities between sexuality uh, and fear with eros and thanatos um yeah basically the mythology of eros and thanatos um Eros like Thanatos being the dominating fear-based character and Eros being basically pure sexuality or something like that. Um. There might be, but I'm not that familiar with... I'm familiar with uh, the character of Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I don't I'm know not, who Thanatos I'm not, is. I'm but... not that familiar. Okay, see, the thing is, is that uh, Thanatos is obsessed with death. Mm -hmm. And the connection between... Thanos uh, or Thanatos and Eros is because you know that the orgasm was related to the little death. And uh, Thanatos is obsessed with death because fear has this love-hate relationship with death. And that's what's, what, that's what's expressed in the Marvel comics between Thanos. And Thanos expresses that in the films by killing half the universe. But he's but he's obsessed with death. He does that to impress death. And that his obsession with death is because, of course, fear is obsessed with death. 
Fear is the primal survival instinct. So of course it's going to be obsessed with death. And one way to interpret that obsession is that you want to appease death. So the relationship between fear and the little death of love, of erotica, of eros, the little death is the orgasm. It is unquestionable. It is unquestionable that for a short period of time following the orgasm, men and women alike experience a relief and a expulsion and a, uh, a calm, like men fall asleep, generally speaking. So there's, there is, if there is a connection between fear and death, and there is, then there is a connection between fear and the little death. If you are practicing animal sexuality. If you are practicing white tantra, there is no place for fear. And we write about this in our article. Because the fear of falling is catastrophic to the practice of white tantra. And we share our personal experience of this. Um, when we, okay, fear works with any and all other egos. So fear plus gluttony. Yeah. How many people out there do emotional eating and how many people out there are obese because of their anxiety and they eat, eating for them is a drug. Alcohol as a drug, drugs as a drug, go figure. Gambling, all that other stuff. Now, even though the addiction is self-loathing, but that can be that self-loathing, the shame can be born out of an anxiety, out of a fear, a fear that I'm not good enough. And you see that shame is the feeling of being inferior. But the fear of being inferior can work with the feeling of feeling inferior. And now the two are tag teaming you. Fear very rarely shows itself to you in its real form. Even with phobias, even with phobias, fear projects onto something. Fear doesn't show itself as fear. Fear makes you terrified of something. I'm afraid of spiders. No, you're not. You're possessed by fear. I'm afraid of open spaces. No, you're not. You're possessed by fear. I'm afraid of heights. No, you're not. You're possessed by fear. That's the truth. The heights, the open spaces, the spiders, the snakes, COVID-19, those are just excuses, distractions. That's why if you face your fear, you can get over your fear of heights. You can get over your fear of snakes. You can get over your fear of spiders. You can get over all your fears. But if you don't comprehend that you are possessed by fear, your fear is going to keep manifesting itself. In, in one of these other faces and all and one and someday you're gonna you're gonna wake up and you're gonna have a panic attack 
for no particular reason. You're not going to know why. The reason why it's because you've been facing your external causes of your fear, but you've been ignoring the fear itself and you've been sweeping it under the rug and sweeping it under the rug. And where does it go? Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into your subconscious mind until finally it finds itself a, a strong end game boss level fear. <laughs> yeah. Who's in the deepest dungeons of the video game in your subconscious mind. And there, from there, he has a whole legion of minions now. And he can haunt you. He can haunt the kingdom from deep below. And he and he sends up his negative vibrations. And they come out as anxiety. Or they come out as panic attacks. Or they come out as all these things. Or my fear likes to rage okay my fear is intimately connected with anger my fear likes to rage when i told you about my room being being destroyed it's because my fear likes to rampage and rage just like in star wars just like in empire strikes fear turns to anger that's my fear my fear is darth sidious my fear is darth vader my fear is like my is like it's like it's like Sith levels of evil. And he just likes to rage. So my demon likes to rage in my subconscious mind and deep-seated dark, dark uh, subconscious anger, rage, is the cause of depression. That's how I don't... So I don't suffer so much anxiety anymore. I used to have a lot of insecurity and anxiety when I was younger. But as I got older and I faced... And I faced what I thought were the causes of my insecurity and my anxiety. The demon went deep and started to and started raging. And I got older. And as I went through the uh, the process of, of becoming a teenager and everything, of course, teen angst in me in me turned to teen anger and rage. So all of these things, if fear likes to work with and and hide behind it's the great terrorist it's the great con artist and it will it will disguise itself in every conceivable way possible and so much of what people suffer from they think they're suffering from this they think they're suffering from that they're they're suffering from fear it's just fear uh uh um tied up with another one of their their egos okay yeah. uh let's see da, 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 da. okay many of these new trends in lust sound like abusive sexual energy it's all abusive sexual energy that's all abuse because that's all the that's all that the egos want to do including fear it's just they just want to uh, exploit and abuse the sexual force so so of course lust is going to do that uh every time that's that's what lust is, right? Lust wants the orgasm. Hey, Dylan says, agree 100%. Indulging those lustful tendencies they had for me was a part of being a, uh, a people pleaser, avoiding the work to be done, masking with the pleasure. Okay, so here's the thing, Dylan, what just mentioned about being a people uh, pleaser. Again, we're being, a, we're being a people pleaser because we're afraid of what other people think. So because we're afraid of what other people think, we don't want to upset people. 
we want to please people all the time. That's fear. I know very well what that is. You know the expression, nice guys finish last? That's me. That was me for the longest time. I was terrified of, of, of especially a girlfriend, right? Especially a woman. I wanted, I wanted her to be happy all the time, right? Happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> but then I met with us. Uh, I, I had a relationship with someone who we can't get into all the details, but this I will share with you. She said to me straight up. She just straight up said this to me. She said, <laughs> she said, you can't be so nice to me all the time. If you're so nice to women all the time, they women turn into real bitches, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and then it's like, I, I meditated on that. And I said, yeah, because no woman can respect the man who's a pushover. No woman can respect the man who's a wet blanket. And women like strong men. Women, women are attracted to strength. And if you're a wet noodle, no women can respect it. So, of course, she's going to get bitchy. She's going to get angry. She's going to get frustrated because you're not. Yeah. A, that's why women like to go date bad boys and women get into these toxic relationships because they're willing to put up with all the shit just to be able to feel like I'm with an alpha male. Yeah, he's a real asshole. And sometimes he beats me up. But boy, oh boy, I'm with an alpha male. I'm with a strong man. Like there's there's a lot of, you know, like that's pride. And that's also self-esteem, right? That's like a woman wanting to feel good about herself. So she she wants to have an alpha. Just the same reason why men want to have a trophy wife, right? And parade her around at the, uh, at the, uh, the Christmas social party at work, right? Ooh, look at my trophy wife. Right. It's like a, it's like a fashion accessory. There's, <laughs> yeah. it, and it's all, and that's, that also is bundled up with pride and fear because if you want a trophy wife to look good, to say, look, I'm an alpha male. I have a trophy wife. That means you care what other people think. And if you care what other people think about you, then you're afraid of what they might be saying about you or what they might be thinking about you. This is, it's for us, this is self-evident. Everything that we're saying to you, it's just, it's so clear to us. Everything, everything you describe or mention, it's immediately we can penetrate and see through it because we've spent over 40 years of our life in the real world laboratory of hell, of our own personal hell, fighting our own personal demon and attracting other people who are fighting their own demon of fear to one degree or another. Hmm. And then on top of that, all the other egos that it relates to, because remember, a demon is more than just one ego. It's just that our demon just happens to be the dominant ego of fear. So, um, okay. Okay. It's not always the same dream, Mugaboo uh, says. Um, the same dream, but it's always a dream within a dream. And it's scary, but it's always invisible. Right away, I know it is a dream. Look, you got to shine the light on it. You got to shine the light of consciousness. Invoke the Christ. Invoke your Divine Mother. Ask her for your flaming sword. 
and and demand that he come out and show himself. That's what you need to do. You gotta and if he doesn't show himself, wait, wait until he does. And if he doesn't, then you're like, okay, I guess you're a coward. Then call him out. Call him the coward that he is. Say it. Hear yourself saying it. That here I am. I am. I am telling you to face me. I am ready to face you. No. You're scared. You're a coward. Call it out. Call it what it is. Right? Be be solid and strong and confident in that. And, and prove to yourself that you are willing and able to stare the demon in the face. And to stare him down and face him mano y mano. Let him be the one who runs away and reneges, not you. Dylan says, BDSM is weird. This created power struggle, even though this is when we first started White Tantra, the <clears throat> infliction of pain and the dominating still has a dance energy to this day. Um, when we were doing White Tantra with our partner, fear was the first thing. Okay. Another reason why we focus on fear, yeah? Even Master Samael said the greatest fear he had to overcome was, uh, sorry, the greatest ego he had to overcome was fear. Anybody who's on the spiritual path, anybody's on the path of the Bodhisattva, anybody's on the path of awakening and self-realization, that is a path of psychological death. Fear is obsessed with death. Fear, its purpose is to prevent death. Fear will stop at nothing, nothing to sabotage your work, including, obviously, White Tantra. It will try to get in there. And it, for, in my situation, I suffered from terrible, terrible uh, uh, um, sexual dysfunction. And you name it, you name it. Pick your uh, open up a open up a medical manual uh, to uh, male sexual dysfunction, and every single symptom on there my demon was giving me everything from everything from uh, 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 I mean everything everything from impotence to premature ejaculation which I would guess are the two ends of the spectrum and everything in between you name it and it was all because of fear getting in my head being afraid of not of, of uh, being afraid of screwing up, being afraid of falling. When I say I've run the gambit <laughs> with, with, with fear, when I say that, I'm telling you there's there's, there's very, very little um, I, I have yet to see and I've yet to go through with this, uh, with this phenomena. Eros and Thanos is Freudian. It's not. It's not based in Greek mythology. Thanatos is uh, based uh, upon Greek uh, mythology, but yeah. I think uh, 
Freud uh, used that uh, those two as a psychological the archetype. Thing. The relationship because Freud was because uh, Freud was obsessed with sex, but Freud was obsessed mm -hmm. with sex for a reason. That's because yeah. lust is the mother of all egos, and and eros is the little death. Lust is the little death. And what is and remember what is it the one thing that people are afraid of the most? Young young like women, for example, who are not strong females or or whatever like and what most people the thing they're afraid the, the one thing that they're afraid of more than dying is dying alone yeah and this by the way we experienced with a young woman who catfished us and got us to go down to guatemala to be with her for the sole reason that she had cancer and she didn't want to die alone. So she catfished us on Facebook. It's a long story, but that's how we know she wasn't afraid of dying. She was afraid of dying alone. And she would do anything in her power, her fear, her demon of fear, and it was a demon, would do anything, anything to avoid dying alone. So what is that? That's the desire for relationship. That's the desire for companionship. That's the desire for love. In other words, that's lust. But that's lust in the emotional center and lust in the mental center, being fueled by fear. In other words, that's that's infatuation, right? I don't want to be alone. I have to. I become infatuated with someone. I become attached to someone, or I become. I'm so terrified of being alone. I become attached to this to this idea of being with someone again we can you can see appreciate now how and why we're writing a book on this yeah because number one it's everything it's everywhere period in all of human psychology it's everywhere and number two is our Direct personal experience has been completely dominated by it, and be, and that is what and we have we have overcome. You want to talk about baffles and baffling, and how many times we've smacked into one of those things and got got sent into a tailspin, into a spiral. But it gave us energy, gave us vitality, gave us knowledge, gave us experience. And it yeah. structured the gnosis of this demon in our consciousness. Mm. And so now we are, that's why we say without hesitation, with all confidence and humility, okay, we are experts at fear. We are, we have not yet fully mastered it. We are not masters of, we've no. mastered our fear to a degree, but no, we're not fully masters yet because we're not masters yet. We're not a master yet. Yeah. We have a lot. We, we have more work to do. But in terms yeah. of where we are at, in terms of explaining and, and helping people with where most people are with fear, we we can we can help just about um just about everybody. Um 
And uh, sorry, uh, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. I don't avoid them in real. Okay. So. Okay, Dylan says beyond the pleasure principle. Yeah. Okay. No. 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 I we we get that. We just we just shared that. Listen, this this woman was catfishing us down into Guatemala. She was not out for pleasure. She was out to avoid pain. Right. So there's there's many many different motivations, and he said. Uh, dense energy sorry okay mugaboo says i don't avoid them in real life fair enough fair enough but you keep having these dreams for a reason and you're having these experiences and facing your fear at a different level right in your dreams so you have to face your fears in your dreams as well not just in real life in waking life i can spot the fear know and do my best to understand the fear Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of sexuality. But in the dream, there is no object of fear. Exactly. Because what you're doing here, even in this uh, expression, Magabu, uh, fear of rejection, fear of failure, free of, fear of sexuality. Okay? In the dream, there is no object of fear. Exactly. You're not really facing your fears. In real life, you're facing the object of fears and you're understanding the object of fears instead of comprehending the fear itself. But the, but the fear is hiding from you in waking life in the same way that it's hiding from you in the dream. And you're and mentally you're focusing on the object of fear. Instead of focusing on the fear itself, the feeling of the fear, what is it doing to you mentally? What is it doing to you emotionally? What is it doing to you physically? To sit with the fear, to be afraid, and to sit with that and comprehend it, not understand my fear of rejection. That's, that's a distraction. That's a mental process. That's an intellectual distraction getting you away from the conscious observation of fear. That's why you keep getting that dream. And he is going to hide from you. Demand he show up. Use your willpower. Assert yourself. He won't show up because he's afraid because that's what fear does. Fear fears. But you have to get through this step so that in your waking life, when you feel fear, you won't be distracted by what you are afraid of, by what's triggering your fear, so-called, because that's not the cause of your fear. The cause of your fear is fear itself. The thing that's the, triggering your fear is an excuse. It's a projection. That's what fear wants you to focus on, so you don't look at it. It wants to hide from you like it does in your dreams. Believe me, we know what we're talking about. We've gone through it. We've been through it. We know exactly how it hides and its ways. And 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 it's the fear you need to get a hold of and, and, and shine the light on. Serena says, an in-depth deconstruction of the niceness paradigm that I read recently is the book Not Nice by Aziz Gazipura. It covers everything, all the fears and lies or 
uh, all the fears and lies that uh, brains tell us that uh, or or brains tell us our brains tell us that hide behind the niceness programming. There's there's Serena. She's back. So uh, all the fears and lies our brains tell us that hide behind the niceness programming. Okay. Yes, I, I just wanted to say that I was thinking now, you know, after I wrote this comment that actually books help exactly in understanding the, the cause of the fear, but it's a mm -hmm. practice. I mean, now I realize that I've been doing a lot of work on fear since, especially in the past years, and it's still a lot of work to do, and I think that's okay. I mean, yes, first you understand it, you understand yourself a bit better, you pray, you start doing some practice, and then you still have to work and still have to clean and still have to look at it. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was helpful that, that the stream on patience or yeah, that you had, mm -hmm. because I, I feel that working with fear is a bit like, it takes also this patience from knowledge well, um, to being. Master Samael, who's a bodhisattva, okay, said it's the greatest ego he had to overcome, the hardest. Be and again, anybody on the path, it's you are gonna you are going to be okay. Do you from the Bible, from the Bible, what are the last words Jesus says on the cross before he dies? Oh God, oh, oh, oh uh, Lord, my Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fear. That's Jesus Christ being on the cross. Of course he's afraid. How can he not be afraid? How can he not feel fear? It's, mm, it's just a thing to add. Yeah, Sorry? about the last words, last words that Christ says on the cross are from a psalm also. I mean, they're like similar to the beginning of Psalm 21, I think it is. So he's praying, but acknowledging, of course. But he's, but he's, but he cries out. He, he cries out. Oh, 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 God, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Because in that moment, he has that moment of, because that is the, the last breath of his human, of his intellectual animal self, of his personality. That's all that the personality is capable of, is, is, is animal mechanical nature. But at the moment that, that his mechanical nature dies, mechanical nature cries out. It's his la the last gasp. Until we go through that process of psychological death and resurrection, the elimination of the ego, the until we eliminate fear, fear is going to be our constant companion and it is going to be the number one entity that's seeking to sabotage the path that we are on, that is going to be sabotaging our efforts to die before we die. Because yeah. that is what fear does. 
is prevents death. That's what fear does. That's its primary job is to keep you alive and to keep animals alive, right? We, we discussed that. That's its role in mechanical nature. And that's what it's, that's, that's, that's the program. That's its program. And it's, and the other things that it does like control and, and, uh, but you know, comfort and security and all the things that's just, those are just complications. Those are just complications and sophistications because the fear is so, is so complex and sophisticated in the intellectual animal. Whereas in an actual animal, it's very simple and it's contained under normal circumstances. That's why the impala and the gazelle can be grazing a few feet away from a pride of lions and not give a shit because they're not afraid. They're only afraid when their fear gets triggered by what? By the energy that's being given off by the hunters who are now in predator mode and they're hungry and they're using anger and they're using fear the desire to control outcomes, the identification and the desire to feed, they are now, and they're now focused their attention with that ego-oriented attention. Again, the survival instinct, that's fear. And they've now focused that razor-sharp focus of consciousness on that impala or on that gazelle. And then they're creeping forward, they're creeping forward. And you... And you look and you watch in these 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 animal programs, these uh, documentaries, and you're like, why doesn't the, the gazelle run away first? The gazelle is just being watchful. He's just he's like, okay, like he's he feels he's feeling the tension. He's feeling he's feeling something. I'm being watched. I'm being watched. Okay, all right. I see him over there. He's creeping up on me. What's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? And and it's always. They, they take off at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Because the two egos are mechanical and, and, and each one, it's escalating. One is escalating the other. And if you read our article on lovers and chi eaters and you observe the relationships that you've had with, with uh, family and lovers, you know how this works. Where, where you don't get angry until they get angry. <laughs> and then they get angry and they yell at you and you, you get even more angry and you start doing this. And it's, it becomes an escalation and the, and the fears are playing off of each other. What do you think that's happening there? The demons are, are, are you know, screwing with you and screwing with them. Yeah, that's they're, right. they're, they're working with each other. It's a pull. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, that it's really cool. pulls you when, when someone gets angry. You know, in your especially in family relations, when someone gets angry and you keep reading their messages, and something still pushes you to to see what they're saying next and to answer. And yeah, that's <laughs> and with all the books read, with all the knowledge, with all the you know prayers and forgiveness. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I have to answer this, you know. And then there I yeah, I end up deleting like five messages on a row in a row. <laughs> Just there is absolutely there. there is absolutely nobody that's going to that's why you know why that that's why family members are the last people 
to start believing your bullshit about being on a spiritual path. <laughs> yeah. Because every time they look at you, they don't see a spiritual person. They see a flawed, <laughs> angry, uh, neurotic person because they bring the worst out of us. It's true. But that's why yeah. they're so precious and important to us. Because they are that psychological, uh, they are that psychological gymnasium that we need that, that, that Master Samuel talks about. That in the real world, okay. But in but if we can't go out there, family, nobody is gonna nobody has the, the ability to press your buttons like the people who love you. No, for some reason, the people that love you the most, they can press your buttons and pull your strings like unbelievable yep. like you're like you sit there going how the hell you think you're the most holy spiritual person you go <laughs> off to india for five years you know you've been you've been praying with the monks and everything else you've been you've been meditating with the yogis you can wrap your body in a pretzel you come home your mother says three words to you and you're like mom what the hell <laughs> yeah and all of a sudden your five years of spiritual retreat poof gone out the window <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? If you really, it's, this idea of the spiral is so visible. It's this true. idea so, of the spiral that that you progress and you progress in spiritual knowledge and understanding, and you do healings and you get on level, and immediately this is where you see oh this, the healing works. I must have reached a high plane in my healing that my family reacts. Like yeah. This all the time. It's a oh, challenge, yeah. and oh yeah, and it, and, yeah. And, I mean, it's also what? a test for us to forgive them. And no, and, you know, and you know what? You say to yourself, go. "Okay, okay, I have more work to do." Yeah, I have more work to do. When you're, when you, when the people who love you the most, okay, can no longer piss you off, then, then you can say to yourself, "Okay, I've made some progress." Okay, right? Yeah. When you can be as calm, when you can be as as calm as a Hindu cow, and your mother or your mother-in-law or your lover is like leaning into you, and they're like taking all their weapons and they're taking all their knives and they're trying to stab you and they're trying to press your buttons in every single way, and you can, and it's just water off a duck's back. Then you can honestly look at yourself and say, "I I I'm starting to make some progress." <laughs> yeah you know and that's why that's why that perfect matrimony was the title of samael's first book and why and why and why uh we put so much energy and effort into that article that we wrote on lovers and and cheaters and the dynamics of relationships and how we related to animals because we are intellectual animals number one and number two is that in animals, you see it so clearly, right? If you yeah. ever owned an animal, you the mechanicity of animals is so apparent to you. Like yeah. even if you have a cat, right? You know exactly where you need to stroke that cat to get it to purr. And it's like turning on a switch or pressing a button. And if you have a dog, it's even easier. I used to be, I used to be able to make my dog purr. Not many people realize that dogs can purr. He would purr. Yeah, they can. Right? But but it's all about knowing how to press the buttons. And you realize yeah. that. And then so and, and the thing is, is that when we're with the people that we love, we're with them because we're energetically 
in tune with them. Yeah. Right? We're vibrating at the same harmonics. We share the same DNA. We share the same uh, the karma. They're part of our karmic family, our, our soul family. Mm-hmm. We have yeah. all these. So it's natural then that we have all this affinity. After all, we love them. Yeah. We love them. We would give our life for them. Yes, we would. So of course, the egos say, we're going to take advantage of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because, of course, we have the same egos. Our family members and our lovers mirror us more than anybody else. Yeah. So they have the ability to trigger us, and we have the ability to trigger them and create the downward spiral of mm-hmm. anger and argument like this with the people that we love. Whereas yeah. with strangers, ah, even if they like they try to piss you off or whatever you say, like I don't care. I don't care what you think. Oh, you know, more power to yeah. you. You hate me, whatever. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You it, it's basically it's lover, the... holy shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the same energy. Um when it came to the time when I actually read the books of uh, Samael, uh, when he compared us to basically being worse than the er- worms of the earth, <laughs> that's basically another trigger point. But if you actually meditate on that and uh, see, uh, look at the um, uh, attributes of a worm who actually eats unfertile soil and makes it fertile, uh, while we are not so good at, uh, yeah, making the bad into good things, basically. So you you see his point if you can, yeah, basically observe yourself and your reaction to that statement. But it's basically the same kind of a feeling with, uh, yeah, family. Um, Mugaboo says, yes, it makes total sense. Thanks a lot. I truly appreciate your help and teaching. You're welcome, Mugaboo. And Dylan says, appreciate this. You're welcome, Dylan. And um, perhaps if you're interested, we will save. um, If you're interested, we will save uh, Joe Biden's speech uh, for next time. We're we're three and a half hours in now, so it's too late to start a new topic. Or uh, you can look it up and watch it yourself. And then next time, if you want to discuss it, we can get into it. Um, and then see if you can find the doublespeak. You know, watch George Carlin's video on YouTube about soft language and euphemism. <laughs> yeah, I can watch it again. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, then, and then listen very carefully to Joe Biden's speech. Read very carefully the language. See if you can't find the doublespeak. If you don't know exactly what doublespeak is or what doublespeak means, you can go to Wikipedia, you can Google it. There, there are good definitions of, of the different types of doublespeak. But the, the, the basic uh, idea in black magic is the idea is to be able to lie to you while I'm telling you the truth and manipulate you. I want you to believe one version of the truth while I am feeding your subconscious mind and programming you and conditioning you and manipulating you with the, with the other version of the truth. And both versions exist simultaneously. 
but one is superficial that I don't mean and that I'm not putting any energy into. The other, the other version of the truth, the real truth, is the one that I'm putting all my energy into, that I'm manipulating and casting a spell with. But you are distracted by the by the uh, the superficial truth on the surface. This is how doublespeak becomes black magic and psychological manipulation. And um, and Joe Biden's speech from uh, January sixth is a uh, is a textbook case. And I have it here um, on the uh, link. Um, <clears throat> oh, there's the link to it. <clears throat> if you want to read it, and then just look for it on YouTube, and you can uh, you can watch it on YouTube as well. And again, only if you're interested, and only if you want us to discuss it next Monday. Yeah. Um, does anybody else have anything to, to add or ask or anything? Because we're three and a half hours in, and I think it's probably a good time for us to call it a night, if it's all right with everyone. Yeah, yeah it's all right with me. Uh, the thing that I've been thinking of that, uh, well, uh, not all black magic is like out there and obvious, um, just right. like there are is with Masters of the White Lodge as well. Uh, some of them are anonymous and yeah, basically help people in the astral realm. Um, and there are similar black magicians as well. And uh, I would say that many of them are just as advanced, uh, if not even more in some cases. So that's another interesting topic uh, that but we... Ju but just remember, just remember that um that <clears throat> the type of black magic that we're talking about that you yeah. can see is actually more effective and more powerful that mm -hmm. it's actually out in the open yes because it's directly impacting the subconscious mind of people whereas that's very difficult to do casting spells from afar. Yes, it is. It's, 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 it's because free will is an absolute law in the universe. It's not as easy mm -hmm. and it's not as easy as in Star Wars. No. Right? Oh, you don't want to, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. No, no, no. It's not that easy. But, no. but when you use, when you have language and speaking to the person, it's that easy because look at those hypnotists and how easy mm -hmm. they can hypnotize somebody. Yeah. Right? Because hypnotists can do that and they can hypnotize you, but they have yeah. to do that with eye contact and they have to do that. Like it's not so easy to do from the far and the spells remember too, that you have to go back to the, um, the, the uh, London Olympics, the opening ceremony, right? Mm -hmm. And you, I'm sure you've seen the videos from the opening ceremony of the London Olympics. And what is it? It's COVID. Yeah. It's COVID, but it's huge. It's huge, and they're showing it to the whole world. Why? Of course, because it's a it's a spell, and they're manifesting it. But they need the attention mm -hmm. span of the and the, yeah. the conscious energy of the whole world to energize the spell. Yeah, to, to 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 manifest it. So so yes, black magic is real. Black magicians are real. They do stuff in covert and everything else. Everything that you said is mm -hmm. true. But we want to be practical, basically. We want to be very conscious and very aware of the most powerful ways that they're trying to influence us all the yeah. time here and now. 
Yeah. And, and that we have the power and the control to prevent. Because at the end of the day, you can, you can cast your mas- macrocosmic stars. You have to be able to smudge your place. You put pentagrams around your room and on your mm-hmm. windows and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff to try to protect your space and protect yourself from black magicians doing their remote attacks and whatnot. But yeah. the ones, but, but, but a lot of the time we go through life and we're asleep and mm-hmm. we're being attacked all the time by advertising, by all these things all the time. And if we're not aware and not conscious, then those things are impacting us subliminally, yeah. subconsciously. And those are the most powerful things of stimulating our egos and, and, and manipulating and altering our behaviors. Yes, they so, are. So, so yeah. So, that, so that's, that's why the, the, the Joe Biden speech is good homework. And the George Carlin mm-hmm. uh, piece on, on, on uh, euphemistic language and soft language yeah. is a joy. <laughs> yeah, it it really is. Okay, can we uh, can we say good night and call it a yeah, day? Yeah, we can. We can. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, as always. Yeah, thank and you. Uh, I look forward. And thank you for participating, Azazel and uh, and Serena. It was a joy and a pleasure. And uh, and uh, I I look forward to next week. And uh, inferential peace. <laughs>